Welcome to Lack of Focus, an X-Wing Miniatures Game podcast, brought to you by Dice 8 Productions. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of Lack of Focus, episode 59. Ever- I screwed it up. I went inversion not- conversion, and it's actually... I'm not editing conversion. it, so this is staying in. No. Nor should you. And, I need to edit it because you're, we're going to have a pause, so I could, but I'm not going to. Why would you? Uh, conversion eversion. <laughs> I am your host, Ed Horn, alongside me tonight, one Mr. Sean Dorsey. Sean, how's it going, my friend? How are you guys doing? Good. And of course, our producer extraordinaire, rather sleep-deprived, one Mr. Chris Sheriff. Chris, how's it going, my friend? Good, thanks, Ed. Good. All right. So we're trying to make this in a short one in, in respects to Chris's sleep schedule. We've got one main topic tonight, and that is going to be conversion kits, looking back on them two years later. Were they a mistake for FFG to put those out? Good topic, hot topic. I know a lot of people are talking about it. And of course, we're going to start off with our flight deck. Chris, what have you been doing lately, my friend? Um, A lot. Lots and lots. Uh, just not all X-Wing related. Hardly <laughs> any, in fact. I think, did I talk about painting the punishing one? Punishing one repaint last time. No. Yeah, I did. uh, Yeah, I painted num one. So like the the green stripes and stuff like that. Yeah, Um, that was good. I didn't realize that was yours. That was good. Yeah, I did a whole weekend's worth of painting, trying to get caught up. I had an article to write for. I've been doing a series on Games Workshop contrast paint, so I painted the Hulk for Crisis Protocol to add to that. Also look good. Um, that was number article three, I think, for contrast paints. Um, I've been painting the um, what was it called? Elder Scrolls Call to Arms stuff. Um, I painted some miniatures for that, just so I can keep doing the reviews for stuff of that. I don't know in, behind me, obviously podcast format, so screw you, listeners. Um, <laughs> all that scenery on the table. I'm doing a review of this scenery stuff, so writing a review of that for a store as well and that will probably go up on the dice hate site as well generic 28 millimeter or is that for a specific game um it's generic 28 mil is actually really good i mean you should sponsor us and pay me to talk good things about your product uh monster fight club scenery um the Ooh. the roll mats are like the neoprene but they're double-sided and they do uh, a 28 by 22 which has got the uh one inch grid on it so it's perfect for D mats perfect and then they do a three by three which has got a grid on it are those wet are those wet erase or dry erase oh no it's um the near like, the same as an x-wing mat oh okay okay gotcha gotcha yeah so i i, I wouldn't use them for dungeon crawling but outdoor encounters are perfect at yeah. one side's a, a sandy barren tundra the other side's like oh, a grassy forest okay, gotcha. um so you throw some scatter terrain on it and then you're good to do your like Oh, they, the party went to sleep in a campground um, with some Vistani and uh, a vampire right, looking <laughs> over them. And then what happened? Oh. Uh, you know, good, good for those kind of combat encounters. Those are good encounters. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I've been doing all of that. I've, we've been putting a lot of stuff on sale at the moment because I'm trying to make space at the store. So I've been taking advantage of the fact that all this work needs to be done to get extra hours because the car needed to be paid for for the brakes and three spark plugs, not four. <laughs> but um, I paid for four. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've been, I think, said I, I, 
I looked at my hours this week and I did 35 hours Ooh. at work. It's a 40-minute trip there, 40-minute trip back. And I um, also am still a full-time parent. So, and that doesn't include writing all of those articles and doing all of that painting. So, so Chris is tired. <laughs> yeah, I was chatting in Discord with uh, some of some of my guys. I'm like, yeah, I think I saw Jill for maybe three hours this week. Ooh. So it's it's not ideal, but we're we're both on board with just get the money in to pay for a car and stuff. So sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. We're going to BC on the. What, two weeks now? I think we're going on the 5th of September. So we're going to BC to see my mum and stuff. I have four days out there. So we need to get the car, pay, uh, pay off that so we can pay for this stupid holiday because we'd saved up money for that <laughs> and then spent it on the car. Yeah. Never like ends. You're allowed to actually go on a holiday. Uh, well, um, so BC's actually doing worse than Alberta, but I'm pretty convinced that that's because of like Vancouver rather yeah. than the tiny little village that my mum lives in. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like my mum and her husband currently don't have COVID. That means like 100% of the population of the village she lives in doesn't have COVID. <laughs> as far as you're concerned. So, that would be good. We're, we're actually not staying there, though. We booked an Airbnb, like, across the street kind of thing. Just... We've got we've got two dogs. She's got three dogs, and they're on like I don't know if you, how much you know about like the Kootenays in BC, but it's like ramshackled. Like, she lives in a hundred year old log cabin. Oh, that's um, cool. It's cool, but it's not exactly like conductive to a family of seven or <laughs> a family of five with five dogs. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So we're gonna. We said we will come, but we're not staying with you. We're staying in Airbnb. So that went down about as well as you'd expect, but you know, <laughs> as well as a lead balloon. Yeah. Um. I manage. I still managed to DM last week, which I've. I haven't edited the edited the video for that yet. Um, yeah, okay. I'll be doing that tomorrow. I think Evie's in daycare tomorrow, so that should be out before this happens. So in the past. I, I, in fact, yeah, ignore all of that. I edited the video. It's all done. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And it went up on per- in time, run perfect. It, it, perfect. Yep. it was like Gandalf. It arrived exactly when it meant to. It was neither <laughs> early nor late. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we DM'd that. I was a little bit. I think I was chatting to Greg about this. So I was a little bit disappointed of how the card reading went. I was really happy with the cards that came up because I, I, I didn't rig the deck. I did it in Roll20, and so that was a legit like card reading for how the book presents how it's supposed to be done. And like, some of it was really cool and like fitted in with stuff that we'd ad-libbed and just kind of worked out really well. Yeah, I, it felt like I, you were... I was a little bit disappointed with my presentation of it. I think I could have done better. But ah, so it's I, okay. I definitely feel like when I'm doing it, there's a marked difference of my content and module content. And yeah, I, we talked I've, about the, if, if you get yeah. a chance to listen to the D and D show, he talks about this on the D and D show. But he definitely feels like the content that he makes up is yeah. much more well prepared for and enjoys doing more. And then when we get on module, that's the stuff I, he struggles with. At, at, the, right there at the moment, <laughs> I feel like it, it's kind of you know if you've I don't have this problem, obviously. But if you have not driven stick for a long time and you're kind of like grinding that 
Uh, that shift from one to another just feels a little bit forced at the moment. I would that so that's my goal as a GM is to try and like just improve improve that transition from where I've prepared really well and what I'm expecting you to do to what actually happens and then getting back on. You know, um, hey, Village Simulator has been fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then I play. I played a game of Arkham Horror um, LCG. That was good. I'm playing. Um, playing Preston Fermont has been really, really good. A, a nice escape from reality. Like he's terrible at everything, but he's got a shitload of money. So you just pay to make your problems go away. I'm like, fucking hell! I, who knew? Like, I put all this effort into get, getting good at stuff when really I should have just had money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like Iron Man solves all the problems. It, true. Confirm <laughs> uh, on right idea. My kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so that that's been good fun because whenever I draw one of the bad cards, um, one of the cards in my deck is you can handle this. So I'll draw a really shitty card or it'll fuck me up, and I'll just look at my my two friends who I'm playing with like, hmm, hmm. Here you go. You, you can, can handle, handle this. this. <laughs> oh, sucks to not be me. Like, what am I paying you for if not to fight all of the monsters for me? Right? Are you doing that on um, TTS or what are you doing that on? I was meeting in person. Um, so we've been playing at the store, um, basically, either before my shift or after my shift. Um, we'll try and get a game in that was. There's no official gaming in the store, but obviously once it's closed, it's a relatively safe safe space. Right. So, um, but yeah, we've been around to a house in the past, and again, it's it's the markedly different animal up here to what you guys are dealing with. Like, there's I think nine or fifteen active cases in Calgary. That's something like weird. Yeah, it's we're about to cross over the six million confirmed cases thing, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy for you. you got, uh, our whole country. Uh, America's <laughs> number one, man. America is number one. Uh, um, uh, and we'll then... get into we'll, we'll get into my side of that one here shortly. But like what I'm trying to arrange and have been unsuccessful at, but we'll get there. We'll get there. And then uh, we in the D and D game I'm playing in with uh, the crates and stuff. We finally finished the starter module, like the intro box. Ooh. We're done. It to- only took us 17 sessions to do the uh, intro module, which is supposed to be like five sessions at most. <laughs> it turns out if you uh, just force your DM to go completely off book um, and burn it, uh, the module is called The Lost Minds of Fandolin. Once we came out of the mine, Fandolin no longer exists because the Lord's Alliance had to burn it to the ground. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's now the found mine of its own place because Fandolin doesn't exist anymore. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, but that was that was good fun. Um, we don't know if we're going to keep keep going or not yet. We've got some ideas. It's nice to have a game to play in as well as just running stuff. It keeps me motivated for GMing as well, which is good. So I I complain. I'm sleep deprived. I think I, I worked until 1.30 in the morning last night. So I got home about one thirty. Sorry, then Evie was up about six thirty ish, and then yeah, so fun. Yeah, 
but a lot of it is my own doing like i say no one's forcing me to work i had a meeting this morning as well with god to go over he's the owner of the sentry box to go over uh, exactly how much money i'd cost him having these sales at a weekend right i i sold our entire guild ball product a hundred percent of it but i sold it all at a dollar a blister or five dollars for a team and that a team now can cost between like seventy and a hundred and seven dollars normally. Mm. But well, like, flip side of that is, is there's now money in the coffer where there oh, would, I, on a dead game there wouldn't be. Yeah, I was just gonna say the game's dead now officially. So like just moving it alone is like. Yeah, well, I, I said to him like, look, it's been on it's been on sale at like forty percent off for a couple of months. It's been on sale at seventy percent off for a, a month. It's still not moved, and I need it gone. I need the space. Like I, I will. I until you like fire me. I will <laughs> be. I'm not playing the game of someone somewhere will pay full price for it because we don't have the space anymore. And yep. so that's been interesting. Um, but yeah, going over the amount of money that he lost, and I, I, I broke it all down. So I had a spreadsheet of. This is the stuff where I've been managing the product lines proactively. So even having this sale to correct some overstocks, we still made money in isolation on just these product lines. Yeah, if you look at it in just isolation, that's true. The the stuff that I haven't been involved in that has been in the store for 10 years is where we lost money. So that's not why it's my fault for the amount I wrote on the sticker to make it sell. But it's not my fault that I had to write that amount on the sticker to make it sell. Yes, agreed. Well, I think a lot of the game store owners don't understand that if a game is on your shelf, you haven't made money. Yeah. If a game is off your shelf, you have made money. Whether it's a loss or a profit is the other side of it, but you don't make any money if it's on your shelf. And, and I, it's, it's just, it costs I, money and overhead, employees, electric, not the whole thing. If you, if you think of it this way, uh, if you've got it's the old Walmart philosophy of it. But if you've got like a carton of milk on the shelf, that's not making you any money. If your shelf's empty because you're out of milk, you've made money. So that's why it's always better to have sold out of everything. Yep. And like you you won't find generally in, uh, I think this is true. This might, I might be wrong here because I've not worked in America or done shopping too much, but like generally in the big box stores, you don't have three different types of cornflakes. You'll have the named brand and their own brand. You won't have the multitude because some of them will sit on the shelf, which is costing you money because you could have put one that will sell in that space. Yep. So, so ironically, in America, like where I live, you have the three brands. You have yeah. the bag brand, so Malto Meal makes that. You have the store brand, which somebody makes, and then you have the name brand. Yeah. Because the bag brand is what people who can't afford the other two are buying because you're getting 10 times as much for roughly yeah. the same price. You know, the quality may not, and I actually buy it when I buy cereal. I buy that stuff a lot just because I can get more out of it. You know, I'm not in it for the total flip. It's the same crap, you know. Yeah. So, somebody is making the same thing. It's, but it's that kind of concept, though. If something's taking up space on the shelf, and isn't Indian, it's not turning over where you're having to reorder it every week. It's costing you money by just existing. Yeah. So, because so, yeah. you could put, 
it's the potential to sell something else in that location that would sell better. So I used to work for Frito Lay. I used to sell potato chips on an up and down the street C Star route. I did. From I did 19, not know that. 1997 to 2000. Then I went into their warehouse in the logistics side in 2000 for two years uh, before I became a teacher for two and a half years. Um, so the irony of it is, is that the way the Frito Lay concept is, is that you have to have the product in the store to sell. It. Okay. As a salesman, I want the product to move. I want it sold. So when something is removed from a shelf, it's very good because when you're dealing with perishable products, you're not dealing, you don't have to worry about stales and things like that. But our management would come into the store and he would see, let's say I would go to a store Tuesday and Friday and he would go to the store on Wednesday or Thursday and the shelves would literally be mostly empty. I would get in trouble because there wasn't product on the shelves. Yes. And I would be like, but it's sold. That's the thing is that for me to sell more product in, there has to not be product in that spot. It's the way the concept of turning merchandise and especially merchandise that has dates on it. But the irony of it is, is that it's not to management. It's not about the product or product on shelves. It's, the idea that if there isn't product on the shelf, they're not able to make money because it's when you work in a commission driven job, you know, that's how they look at things. And so they would tell you, well, you should have sold twice as much into the store. Well, convenience stores don't allow you to have much backstock and they're not going to stock your crap. It's just, if you're a vendor, they're not stocking. Now, Walmart's different. You look at a Walmart, yeah. you look at a grocery store. That's a different concept. They'll go out there, but they're just going to slam it on the shelves. They're, they're not so, actually stuck. A, a good example, which kind of brings it a little bit back into relevance for the show, would be, I was because Greg was in last night as well, he was receiving the Battlefront order and the Gale Force 9 stuff, and we were just chatting about like role-playing games and the, the stock levels, and we got onto the Alien RPG. <laughs> and so we currently have in the store four copies our reorder point is two four for the alien rpg we've sold 17 copies i bought one sean bought one uh, i think greg bought one so like our group okay if i three of those 17 <laughs> but we're still on a two four reorder point like and what, six months it. after the what, six months after the game came out so uh, we'll sell it's two. Almost a year. We, it's almost yeah. a year. For, like, so why, like, why isn't it a zero one? Like, why don't we have one on the shelf instead of four? Because like, that's two hundred dollars worth of book our cost to keep it on the shelf. Well, and then so the irony of it is, so you had let's just say you had twenty copies, right? Okay. And you're paying fifty dollars a copy, so it's a thousand dollars that you put into it, but you're retailing it at whatever markup, you know, for 30, 40% or higher. After you sell a certain amount of books, you've actually already paid all that off. Then if shit sits on the shelf for years and collects dust, you've, and this is how store owners, I think, think, yeah. is that it can just sit there because I've made my money back yeah. on it. Rather than the concept of let's mark it down to get more out of it, even though you're not going to get the money you put into it or maybe you could, out of it, but you could put something in that space that actually sells that actually makes you money. Right, so 17 copies sold, 
probably means we've paid like we could reorder another like eight copies and they would be paid for by the profits of the 17. But we're currently sat on four. What what I'd do now is because what happens is the game will die and then don't say that. No... I'm waiting for the Colonial Marine stuff to come out. Let it oh, die right. after that. Yeah, it's in right, inevitably they'll lose the license at some point, and inevitably, yeah, at and uh, there'll be no demand for it because there'll be another alien game, like the Gale Force Nine alien board game that's coming out. Will steal away some of the thunder from it, <laughs> and then like, what what do you do? Like, we've got four copies on the shelf, which now even if you put them at ten percent off, no one cares about. So you've got to mark them down to like ninety percent off to make them move. So. I, I I would rather take a hit of like 50% now than 90% later because if I take 50% now, I have the space back to put something new on that can sell. Yeah. And it's just like, it's a constant... It, it isn't because in the nicest possible way, God lets me do whatever the fuck I want and yeah. like he'll be unhappy about... So one of the things I did... Oh, this is going to be terrible because all the locals listen to this as well. But I I removed some uh, Games Workshop product from the system, uh, added it to the because ta- we did it as a table sale where I just filled up tables on the floor with stuff for people to rummage through and buy. But I put like Games Workshop product in there, so I was selling start collecting boxes for twenty five Canadian dollars, which is like fifteen US dollars for a start collecting box. Whoa! Which. 100% cost money. That would sell at full retail. I didn't need to move, but I did it so that when I take a picture, there's a start collecting box in there. When someone comes down, they can say, I paid $25 for start collecting box from Century Box. Mm-hmm. So the next time I do a, a table sale, somebody will come in. We're yeah. going to be like, like so we had, we, we let 15 customers on the floor at a time, and we have a lineup around the mezzanine with um, social distance spacing. And we were lined up until uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. There so three go. hours worth of being open before we actually managed to get the lineup down. And that's and that why was you do on that. A, yeah. And it's like, yeah, it, I said, like, this stuff, I highlighted it in a different color on all of the spreadsheets. Like, this stuff, you can't consider a loss from a sale. You have to consider it as a marketing expense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because that's what it was done as it was to build up the. And fight the stigma around the sentry box that they don't really do sales. If it is, it's always garbage and that kind of stuff. But so on a total side note, if you guys do decide to have one of those special sales for the alien RPG, could you send me a IM real quick and just say, Hey, if you want one of these, because like, of course, like the destroyer of worlds, uh, cinematic, uh, box module came out. I'm not necessarily interested in the starter set because there's not much in the starter set that I don't already have from the, the uh, we still don't have that stuff yet. Not, none of it. No, no, I know. I, I know. I'm saying if it eventually does come in, but oh, so like, for example, my copy of the main rule book is the special edition one, the leather bound one with the alien face hugger mm-hmm. on it. I want to kind yeah. of keep that one nice. So if you throw one out there for a bargain basement bin like price like that, I wouldn't <laughs> mind picking that up. My point being is like, so that's half the reason why I want to get the starter set because the starter set comes with a paperback version of the rule book. Yeah. Because that's going to be the one that's going to get the most play on the table whenever I can, for the love of God, can actually have people at the house and actually play, play games. Yeah. Oh, it'll be good. I've done, um, I, I do want to do um, an RPG thing, but 
because that's not my direct control over that area, I don't have as much capital to spend in the high stuff done there. I'm just saying, so, if anything like that even yeah. remotely comes close to happening, please let me know because I would again because I've got that beautiful book that I don't. I just I, it, it's pretty. It's like that's yeah, why my I'm, that's why my Indominus rulebook is sitting right there, and I have a real copy of the regular one because I don't want to use that one. It's pretty. I want one that's going to go on the table and get the hell beat out of it. I managed to trade um, for a copy of a real book and the Space Marine characters. And I bought a 10-man intercessor squad, just a normal uh, bolt rifle one. Mm -hmm. So I may just do a Ultramarines paint, just, I'll say a force, not an army, because I don't have any intentions to play yet. But I kind of want to just paint some Ultramarines, you know. I kind of, I'm I'm already got my paint scheme picked out for my, uh, I swear to God, uh, call never use traitor gene seed uh like the emperor's children purple intercessors like wh- wh- why whatever do you mean he promised bobby g that he would not use traitor gene seed i don't know what you're talking about sure we have a handful of nipple rings so what what of it <laughs> oh, hey, if i'm gonna dive into the flight, how do you like, even I- know they have nipples that's a great question because I just actually sat down and started re. I've been re-upping my forty k fluff recently, and I went through the, all the organs and all the surgeries that they go through to turn me normal. This is human. the content everyone tunes in for. Do <laughs> do space marines have nipples? I think they still do. I, 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 like, I surely that's just a weak point. I'm sure it is. I mean, they replace what? So they replace the eyes. Well, they do surgery on the eyes. I don't know if they replace them. They replace their ears. They add a whole bunch of cool new organs, including Betcher's glands and things and like that. Three extra if you're making Primaris Marines, they get three bonus organs. This is true. This is true. But I, I was going from human to Astartes because apparently <laughs> the conversion from Astartes to Primaris is extraordinarily difficult, which is why only a handful of characters have done it. Calgar, Mephiston, things like that. So it's easier to go from human to Primaris than it is to go from Astartes to Primaris. But that's 40k fluff on the X-Wing show. <laughs> Yeah. So okay, I finished listening to Sons of a Selena um yesterday, uh, this morning, maybe on my drive to work. Oh no, on the drive home last night I finished listening to it. Ooh. Um so I'm tapped out until my audible credit comes in once a month, baby. Yeah, I I was back and forth because Sons of Selena is the next book in the series for me. But it was only a four and a half hour audio book compared to the one after that, which is a sixteen hour one. That's why. And you're like, if I'm burning my free my free credit this month. I'm burning. So my problem is I'm burning through all of the. And it kills me too because I physically have them, the the Titan books for the Alien series. We're kind of double back to the Alien stuff. Uh, Titan got the the license for that, and all the stuff that they're writing is considered to be canon. So I've been reading all of that stuff in the Alien universe and the audio dramas that they're doing. I don't know if anyone ever played it. One of my favorite games on the PS4 uh, was Alien Isolation. Uh, it was an amazing game. Really got into the uh, the kind of what like the first movie was, like the the very claustrophobic like horror, not the machine gun wielding action kind of thing of Aliens, which I like both. I mean, I, if, I, if you had to put a gun to my head, I don't know which uh, one I would the, choose. The scariest moments I had play so playing Alien versus Predator on the PC in like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. All late nineties. Um, playing as the alien was terrifying. Coming around the corner, because you switch your vision mode, and it's really weird. The alien vision mode was a hundred and eighty degree 
cone around your head. So it was presented on the screen, obviously, because it's a flat surface, really weirdly, but your peripheral vision, or you'd pop your head around the corner and there'd be a sentry gun there, which would just open up on you. And I doing it, but trying to remember what orientation you are, because you're actually like on the ceiling now. So as you try and dart away, you fall off the ceiling and uh, then there's Marines and oh, terrible. If you've never played it, you could probably get it for a bargain basement price now because the game is like eight, I want to say four or five years old now. Alien Isolation on PS4. Play it with headphones. Oh my, it, it is an awesome, awesome game. I really enjoyed it. My point though is that the voice actress that they got, and I don't want to spoil the character arc on what's in the one, the main character in Alien Isolation. The, char- the voice actress that they had do that also did some other work on the audio dramas. So that's the only thing that throws me off is I hear her voice and go, hey, wait a minute, that's all, oh, no, no, she's playing a different character in the audio drama in the universe. So so that's what I've been yeah. spending my stuff on. So I need to start getting into the newer books. That's why I was asking you what books to start. Um, because I walked away from 40K in 6th edition going I, in... Personally, I... I would just do 30k stuff. Continue the heresy books. I don't know how far through or if you even started, but that's uh, actually, uh, that's no, a better foundation than than trying to get a grasp. Of the last book that I read. Oh yeah, you've got like a shit ton of a shit ton to catch up on. So uh, full, so Fulgrim's a really weird one because a lot of people really really think it's a top tier book, and I just found I it really really, really like slow. It. I find it really slow, and I, I didn't really do anything for me. But, um, yeah, but been, there's some really, really good ones. They've been at Mars for 10 years. You're telling me slow the whole Horus Heresies, but they're just now getting to the, to the Siege and Terra. Come on. And then it's got these uh, little side loops. So have you done um, Mechanicum? Is that before or after Fulgrim? Okay, now that I've said that, I think Mechanicum is the book right under Fulgrim, which is what I have. I've not read that one yet. That's a good one. So that's, that's the next one. one on my list. So spoilers for a prelude, but machine, heal thyself. It's good. Good. <laughs> Looking forward to it. But my point is, is so because I'm getting back into the game and the fluff, as much as I always considered myself a competitive player whenever it came to 40K, the fluff was always important to me. It's what really kept me involved in the universe and kept me involved in the game. I want to play catch up and like, so where did uh, the, I get it? Know, I where Genuinely, the the, come from? there is more there's more relevance in the 30k stuff to this stuff than there is current right other than reading the codices and the rule book like, there's only like three or four novels set in the uh indominus timeline okay everything well, else everything else is still pre the great rift uh, right the, but the bulk of the Graham McNeil's writing the first books that are going to be moving. The, keep in mind, first of all, it's heresy, in yeah. my opinion, to be perfectly honest with you, that Games Workshop's actually moving the story along. Well, uh, it's but the 42nd are, but, millennium now. Yeah, now we're into the 42nd millennium because they were stuck in M40, M40, 99.99. Like they wouldn't cross over into the 41st millennium, but now they've overshot that and they're in the M42 now. So now they've got books that are posted with the Primaris Marines, but I want to play catch up on the whole call story i want to be able to get i like i know the 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 cliff notes version of how bobby g came back and how the primaris means but like i want well, to pick up on what was the, all going the crawl, like, the, the great rift yeah like, the crawl I, I, novel I the is a, it's a heresy one though like the one that really introduces a lot of him and his backstory it's a horace heresy novel oh yeah because he was around 
Yeah. But I thought he was around post heresy. He's a tap in the book that he's in, he's a tech addict. So this is the start of his career. He's the bestest tech addict ever. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you about it because it would be spoilers, but like, that's what I'm saying. I think rebuilding the foundation of the heresy is will be more rewarding as a reading experience for you than jumping in to trying to pick up stuff. Uh, there's no reason you can't do both. No, but... no, you're right. You're absolutely right. There is no reason. I, I'm just like, you're right. I guess it's the part of the, uh, the the reading I need to do with the the actual rule book because I always go straight to the rules and there's a ton of material just in the core rule book that probably yeah. covers all the stuff I'm looking for. But I like those little minutiae. I like the little bit of details. Yeah, it's good. Sensor Sona, it's a good one. T- ties right. directly into uh, the Primaris creation. Does it really? Yeah. That's the book I've just finished. An audio book. And that's, that's what I mean. It's all tied together because it's the same people in the same I meetings. I go into stasis for 10,000 years. There's a, big, like, there's a big gap in between all of that. Yeah. Yeah. The Imperium works at a monumentally glacial pace. <laughs> that they do. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to pick up more stuff on Age of Apostasy, too. Like, I'd love to, to, like, read all of the backstories of where the Sisters of Battle came from. Like, again, I know the Cliff Notes versions, I know everything that happened, I know all the high points to the story, but there's a lot to it. Like, if they ever put into writing what the Custodes showed the Sisters, to make them come back and be like, okay, bang! <laughs> like, I want to know... <laughs> all the stuff with Malkador, it's all Malkador's fault. I, I, of course, it has to be. Um... Hey, he, oh, yeah. the only, he's the only human to be able to keep the, the to sit on the Iron Throne, be able to keep, or the Golden Throne to keep it up. Iron Throne, how do you like yeah. that? <laughs> um, what else? So I, yeah, so I'm reading, actually reading this for maybe 10 minutes before I go to bed every night. I'm getting caught up on the uh, the Night Lords trilogy, which is like 20 years old now. Like Aaron yeah, Dembski Biden's old. first stuff. Old uh, is not necessarily old as in the time frame, because those were considered quote-unquote modern more modern oh, yeah. times in 40k in the timeline. That's why like if you ever try to pick up a, a 40k novel and try to get what's the most current, like they're not in order. Like there's literally a span of 10,000 years from Horus Rising to whatever the Indominus to whatever the next book that they're coming out with. There's 10,000 years of history in between all that. So it's really difficult to go chronologically. Um, good luck. Cause there's so much stuff that goes into all yeah. of that. It's really, it's pretty interesting. I'm enjoying that as well. Stuff that I didn't consider what it, how it how the universe would function um, is revealed in it. So it's pretty cool. Right. So the Night Lords in it are talking about how they've been fighting the like the Great War for like two hundred years, but it's been like they're in the modern time, so it's been ten thousand years. But as they're doing warp travel and just losing time and stuff like that, and they just so, don't know. Yeah, like they, they know the like, when they come the out. It's the old time travel conundrum of like, the first thing you ask any, what day is it? <laughs> but it's that kind of thing. Well, that's why they give some of the some of the weird conspiracy theories on like how Marines could have traveled through the warp and gone back to the Horus Heresy while it was happening and not realize what was going on. Like, there's all kinds of cool stuff that happens with with warp travel. And I'm yeah. sure you tuned into the X Men podcast for that one. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's my flight deck anyway. So Ooh. one flight deck down. 
I mean, let's be honest. If people listen to Nova Squadron Radio, that's like one of Bob's battle reports. Yeah, time. Like, we'd still have three more battle reports to go before we got to second person's flight deck. Yep, so you guys should count yourselves fucking lucky that we <laughs> we covered like 17 re- irrelevant topics rather than just one battle report. Exactly. Well, that's why it's lack of focus. We're not focused on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I'm going to go to you real quick. What have you been doing lately, my friend? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, Ton of work. Work. Uh, sort of injured my back, not this last weekend, but the weekend before. So that's been a little rough. Um other than that, it's mostly online gaming, playing some Twilight Struggle and Civ Six, and then of course the all-time consuming eater of time is Animal Crossing. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm on my fourth iteration of the island. So I've restarted three times. I literally restarted today um, while I was waiting for this, uh, but I kind of cheated in that where I. T- just took a bunch of crap, took to my son's island, dropped it there, which once I can fly out, I'll pick it all up. So I have stuff to speed the speed the game up a little bit since this is iteration four. And all of it was for one villager. <laughs> Literally, I completely restarted an island that hadn't been going more than seven days. I'm on the first island went about a month and a half, second island for about two weeks, third island was about seven days, and then I finally figured out how I can get one villager who came in as a starter. I want him not as a starter. So, you know, it's that, uh, the nerd, the, the nerd in me really nerding out over, over one villager. Cause I have the other two villagers I want. I have the amiibo cards for, so I can get them back anytime. Uh, That's cool. I've that, been finding, I've been myself finding, like we have one. It's sitting right there and I never touch it. Because the kids are always either on that or the PlayStation. I've been fighting the urge to get a Slim, but because of COVID-19 and prices online, they're hard to find. And when they are, they're jacked up out of all the hell. I'm finding the same problem with GW models because I want to go out and buy stuff, and I can't. I, I got sis- I got two Battle Sister squads. Ooh, perfect. I'm going to talk to you about probably off, off um, show on how I'm paying for that because of my paying this you or am i buying from the store we'll get to that because i don't know yeah. how that i don't know how that works yeah well it'll be once it's done but um i can keep you up to date on how much the current total is so you can keep putting stuff away but yeah, sister- we'll sort that out two sister yeah we gotta suss that out cool because i'm looking forward to that because that's the because i oh, i'll get to that in my flight deck here in a second but <laughs> I got some extra got some extra fundage um yeah. Sean, anything else not really um just uh you know, just trying to trying to make it day to day. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So I am going to. So when I was in Nova in whatever year it was, 2017, 17, 18, yeah. Um, when I ran U.S. Nationals there, I bought an Alpha table. I don't know if you know what those are, but they're the yeah. They're a nice table, but they came out with a second Alpha, which is sturdier. So what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull the legs off the alpha table and build my own legs for it so it's sturdy. I have a futon in my living room that I'm going to either cut up and throw out in the trash over time, or next month I'm getting a dumpster to throw more shit away. But once that's out of there, I'm going to set up the alpha table permanently and that my son and I can play games like X-Wing, Armada, the, the bigger tabletop games that I don't have space for on my 
five foot round table. It just doesn't work, you know, well enough there. And then, you know, because I'm a single guy, it's like I don't have to worry about putting it away. So leave it set up. It'll be a perch for my cats probably in the you know in the interim. So, but that's kind of my next foray into this is I'm going to pull the legs off, buy a piece of uh, plywood, fit the plywood underneath it, and then use sawhorses as the stabilizers for the legs. And then basically I have a you know a six foot by four foot gaming table that's built real well. So. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be probably in the next couple months that I'll do that. And then, um, you know, we'll get back into that type of gaming because I'm going to build it lower. What, what people don't understand is that most gaming tables are a little too high for, for me. So I want to build it where I can either block it up and make it higher. So if I play standing up, it actually sits higher so I don't have to bend over. Or, um, or build, it, build it so you remove blocking so it can be lower and I can play while sitting down. Yep, I so, find somebody. I find somebody that worlds it's set because he had similar back yeah, issues. Right, so I can't do that in between table height or table size just because I can't bend over. And if I do, it's you know I'm going to pay for it for weeks and weeks and weeks. So that's I'm looking forward to that. You know, I'm building a shop down in my basement, a wood shop down in my basement. So I have all the tools to do it. You know, it's literally Perfect. literally easy to do. It's just bringing everything in and, you know, getting the material and stuff. So so that, that's kind of my next big adventure in gaming, because once I get that done, guess what I'll be playing? X-Wing, Armada, yeah. you know, games like that, even some Legion. Um, I'll have to relearn that. and um, Probably look into getting some, uh, oh, and, and probably that X, uh, the uh, uh, Crisis Protocol. I want to get, yeah, that good. get playing good that, too. Yeah. You got a corset, didn't you? I have a corset, and the Hulk and I think a couple couple other expansions. Um, but that'll be the other game that my son and I will get into and stuff. And probably when I get to that point, I'll probably start trying my hand at crappily painting things. And Contrast paints, man. So I I well, I mean, it's it's learning. Wash, finished. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll set up my, my airbrush system here in my office because I have a whole whole system for it where I can blow straight out my window. It's I built an exhaust system in it and everything. Mm. So I'll be able to do it out a window or I, can, I have a secondary containment where I have a hose that runs into an air purifier. So I can run it in the house, you know, full time basically. So cool. th- I'm looking forward to that. It's just with me and everything's really slow. So, you know, I can't, I understand. Can't, can't do everything I want to do every, every time I want to do it. So, but I'm looking forward to that because I'm really looking forward to getting X-Wing back on the table and getting, uh, you know, some of the new conversion kits. All right, so we're getting into my flight deck. What have I been doing recently? So I've obviously not done much X-Wing. There's not really much to do. Uh, we were going to potentially play a game tonight, but eh, that kind of petered out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that one out later. I have been doing a boatload of stuff in preparation for 40K. So went to Home Depot. Uh, very similar. It was kind of interesting to hear Sean talk about his uh, table story because I need a table to play 40K at home because I'm not able to find a place to play locally. So our local stores... Um, I called the only local place that I have here locally that has tables. And I asked them if it would be possible to reserve a a table at a time so that there was no one else in the store. And they're like, no, we really can't do that. Like, you know, the store is kind of open for everyone. I'm like, well, you know, COVID-19, I was trying to keep things, you know, as separate as possible. And they're like, yeah, no, we just, we can't 
do that. We're not gonna we're not gonna be able to accommodate each on that one. Because I've been trying to get together with Chad and play a game with him of anything, and that was the only thing I can think of because we don't want to have anyone at the house. Uh, Chad's current workplace is a little bit too exposed to the public. Um, yeah. for, as, as, to, for me to be able to invite anyone in. So that kind of petered out, and I'm like, all right, well, I want to play games. Don't have anything here. So I went out to uh, Lowe's and got myself uh, a 4 by 8 sheet of MDF board, and 40K changed all their sizes. So they are now at 44 by 60, which is basically almost 5 foot by 4 foot. They shaved a foot off the <laughs> – they lopped an end a foot off the end of the table. So I cut three 22 by 60 sheets so that I can go boom, 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 and put them on the dining room table, and then boom, instant game table. And then I ordered one of those uh, mats from Frontline Gaming, the little cool neoprene ones, printed one. That's why I remember you said those. I'm like, ooh, I'd like to kind of see those because, I mean, as much as I like recently. They, they do a six by four one that's double-sided as well, but they've, they don't do, not many people are doing the new sizes for 40K yet, but Frontline are doing them, so. Not that I'm knocking or, or, or throwing shards of shade in any way, shape, or form, but it kind of helps when you're a playtester and you know that shit's coming. And you're like, oh, look, magically our web store opens up and look at that. We've got all of those. There's a little bit of like, I don't want to say insider trading and knowledge because they, they they couldn't help it. They were helping them. And I appreciate what they're doing because they, they basically help write the GT package for the missions. They're really good tournament level players. So they really focused on the game and help balancing it. So that's kind of like a, a give and take on that one to be able to be like, yeah, we also know that the game is going to 44 by 60. And then here are these maps that we're doing. Cool. Um, they're the first to market and they're, they're, they do a lot of good quality work. I do like the mats that they've done before. So I ordered myself a, a $70 mat um, from them. And uh, so that's on its way, hopefully soon. Um, so then I'll be able to lay that down and then I'll be able to get my terrain down and everything looks cool. So uh, this is why you should get on board with like crisis protocol with me and Sean, where it's like a three by three gaming space, <laughs> just play it on the kitchen table. Like you can do with X wing. It's fine. So my kitchen table is le- it's five foot this way, but yeah, no, that probably would work. I think, I think whenever we lay X wing mats down, there's a little bit of overlay, but for the most part, yeah. it's, I think it still works. We still always have to put, like, I used to have these slats that I put down for, for playing X-Wing on it, so, yeah. So I did that. Uh, I finished building the entirety of my Indominus box set. I uh, tried something different with my Necron, something I've not done before, which is actually base them before I prime them. Um, the the threat process mine is, so I, I don't have where else bases or minis, but I always use P- a mixture of PVA goo and water. Um, I have two different types of ballast. One of them is crushed walnut shells, which you actually get at a pet store. It's meant to be uh, the bedding for like a lizard, uh, but it looks really cool when painted up because it looks like gravel and it's about the same scale. Like it always kills me whenever I see people put sand, like big chunks of sand on a base because what's small to us looks like a boulder to them. And it looks like they're roaming, looks like all of your models are roaming through like rubble. And they're uh, really- look at it, if you're not going to put coarse sand down and then dry brush it gobbling green, are you even living? <laughs> exactly my point. So I went out and found, like, I got this big bag for, like, five bucks. It's lasted me for a decade of crushed walnut shells, which is about the size. I do put a little bit of sand there because, like, all of the Indominus stuff has this cool, like, rubble kind of theme going with it as well. But I based it, but I always use that PVA water glue um, mixture. What ends up happening over time and over years is slowly but surely that PVA gear releases. And then you get this nice, thin basing material that's above your plastic base, and then you have to go back down and glue them back down. So the fix for that is to just prime them 
with the basing material on so that the paint helps hold them down. So this is yeah. hopefully this is my first time doing it. I've never done it this way before, so it'll be it'll uh, be fun. Spray on varnish as well kind of helps. Well, yeah, that, well, that's going to finish it. But um, but long story short, they're Necrons, so I Krylon the whole lot of them from the Indominus box set, which means I'm basically three quarters of the way done with a fully painted Indominus box set army. I, I saw on Discord you shared <laughs> pictures. I did. Uh, so I do. I am going to do a little bit more than just null oil and base and done. I've got some gold. I've got some blue metallics. I'm going to be adding. Uh, I'm going to be trying Chris's um, white with the um, ultramarine contrast paint for the weapons. I'm struggling right now with how the hell to paint the their version of power weapons, like the warp, uh, the 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 Necron close combat weapons, because they're not power swords. And I see all these cool, like, if you look at the box art for those things, you can see this cool thing where they're fading in and out of different shades of color. I'm like, oh, neat. How do they do that? And um, I've, I've, there is, uh, who does it? I think it's Vallejo. There's a company that does a phase shift paint. Um, all right, now you've got uh, me. I, I will message my friend. And ask him which who it is, and I'll get before we finish the show. Hopefully, I'll have a link for you. Okay, because now I'm, I'm super. Because I was the I found a video of a guy, and it was like at one in the morning on a Saturday, and then I fell asleep and couldn't find the video again for whatever reason. But basically, he started with a black, and he started bringing up gradations of dark gray, then a little bit darker gray, then a lighter gray, then into white. And I was like, oh, neat. So I need to remember that. And I should have favorited it, but I didn't. And now it's gone, and I can't find it. But basically, that's all he did was go from black to, to white in gradations with dry brushing and then contrasted paint over it. And I'm like, cool, that sounds like a cool idea. Now I want to like study that and damned if I can find that anywhere. So I've been watching video after video. And then what ends up happening on Ultimate, because I have a ton of guys that I watch on uh, on YouTube that are really good painters, and then they break out the airbrush. I'm like, God damn it, I don't want to do it by airbrush. I want to brush this in. So how do I do it by brush? The way your shifter paints it's called. Shifter paints. Are that similar can... to like contrast paints? Nope. Uh, I'm seeing what I can do now. Okay. Well, I will absolutely consider so I, uh, I didn't paint these. I just posted it on the Discord for you in the painting channel, but you can kind of see the effect on the weapons there. Oh, here. I don't want to risk jumping out of our live show, so I will go and take a look. <laughs> via my... Do you not, do you not pop afraid... out the window and have to... I, I've got Discord and Discord. Pop I should out the video chat. I do not do that. I, I'm getting there. I'm still new. Oh, that's not bad. Um, and it's just a one a one coat thing. That's not bad. I mean, but if you you know what I mean, like you're standing around the story off where you see like the the fading in and out colors. Yeah. Basically, what they're doing, they're painting non-metallic metallics. They're using the same um, painting technique to paint non-metallic metallics, except they're just um, either contrasting or washing over it to get that a look. So it's the same concept. So. And non-metallic metallics, I'm no good at. It's the and if you don't know what that is, it's Games Workshop and all these other game companies have these um, products that are metallic paints. But some are good and some aren't, and some of them don't look so good because they look a little bit fake on a model like that. So there is an, a way, a painting technique that you can use to use flat, regular paints to look like they're metallic, even though they aren't. And it's a really complicated um, technique for painters, which I've never been able to master, and it's almost the exact same thing. And I'm like, well, damn it, if I'm going to jump back into this with two feet, I'm going to try to master my non-metallic metallics and get those working. But if there's a quick and easy route for it, damn it, I'm going to try that. So, yeah, I did that. And then um, so I'm getting my 
living room area prepared to be the pop-up, here's a game of 40K, pop-down, goes folds, it goes away kind of thing. And then I sold an army because my wife uh, has built uh, the COVID gym, which is over here, which, yeah. by the way, I am on my third week of lifting. Uh, leg day sucks. Bro, bro, do you even? <laughs> oh, my God. It, it, nothing is more emasculating when you're like, oh, okay, so this is the exercise. You need to take a 25-pound weight and lift it over your head. Okay, no problem. That's easy. How many times can you do that in 60 seconds? Ah, oh, that's got to be easy. You hit the 30th one and every muscle <laughs> on, the, on the back of your arms you haven't used in 20 years is going, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And they're burning and screaming. I'm like, oh, yeah, and I need to do three more sets of those. Um, it, she's been kicking my butt in the gym, but I deserve it and I need it. Uh, tomorrow's leg day. Yesterday was arm day. My shoulders are right here and here, like just doing these rotator cuff stuff has, has been painful. Um, so yeah, so if nothing else, there's a running gag running around that people are putting on their quarantine 15. I put that on a while ago. So I'd like to not only get rid of that, but everything else I've put on over the last couple of years. So it's been fun. 45 minutes to an hour in the gym, three days a week. Uh, we'll see how that does for me. Uh, well, uh, I'll get back to you. In about, I, I stepped on a scale when I started, and I want to see where I am after about a month. Uh, I'm on my third week, so we'll, we'll see how that's going. So it just it, It's shocking how out of shape I feel like I am. I'm like, oh, this is just a 25-pound weight. And then on the 13th one, you're like, uh. It's awful. It's just awful. But it's good awful. So that's it. That's all I've really been doing. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, leading into that. So my wife needed me to make room in the COVID gym because she had another piece of equipment. And she's like, you need to clear some crap out. So I don't know. Someone can tell me if they feel like I've got taken for a ride or not. It's possible. But I have my good natures always intended. Someone posted a post on Facebook and the Pittsburgh uh, 40K group said that they're concerned that all of the game stores in the local areas are struggling. Uh, due to uh, current events and that they may not be around much longer because they might not be able to keep their doors open much longer. And these are a lot of areas where people go to play. So he and a bunch of his friends have decided to get together and do a gaming club, which Chris, I know is a common thing where you come from. It's not super common around here because people usually do it in game stores, but the basic premise behind it is that they're going to charge a membership fee to rent out a building, to have a place specifically for members only to be able to play games. And they're looking to raise funds, and they were like, look, we're trying to buy armies that we can sell. The intent is to be able to rent the space, so we can't pay top dollar for anyone. But if anyone has miniatures that are just collecting dust and they want to get rid of, let us know. And I don't troll Facebook that often, but I saw it and said, sure. I have a Tau army that I have no intention of keeping. I have no intention of ever putting it on. I'm not, gonna, I'm not that close into the game that I'm going to be chasing the meta like I used to. So the armies that I have plus the sisters about army coming are the only ones that I want to collect currently. So I sold them to uh, the gentleman who is the head of this gaming club for probably a little under what I would have wanted, but I was trying to be generous because I knew what his intent was, was he was going to sell them online. And then I gave him a whole box of this old terrain that we used to have whenever I used to have tables in my garage that I'm not going to use anymore because I have one table here and it's all GW ruins because <laughs> I'm a narcissist. Yes. I have to have nothing but GW plastic on my table, including the terrain, because I'm an idiot. Um, so I don't need any of the stuff that I made for that one there. A lot of it was like the foam stuff that I made. Like you got the old wire cutter. You made the, here's a hill and ooh, here's a ruin, that kind of stuff. I just gave them all that stuff. I cleared four did, boxes. But, did you use a Games Workshop wire cutter? No. Oh. <laughs> no. 
See, it wasn't even Games Workshop Toronto. You should feel bad. It wasn't. Well, I didn't feel bad because it's not Games Workshop. It's not here. If, if you if you'd have used the Games Workshop wire cutter, which was only available for like a year or whatever, <laughs> uh, but they did a Games Workshop branded wire cutter. Did um, they? I, yeah. I I thought you were kidding. I did not realize no, they did that. No, uh, I don't. Know, they might not have even done it in the in the US. But it was the old old style of where it's like. Um, 2D a battery, tin, a, yeah, a tin torch cylinder, and just like the it was, <laughs> and it was like good forty dollars. It had Games Workshop's name on it. And they put an Aquila on it, so it it has to be worth forty dollars. It was the old. This is how old it was. It was the old blue background with a red and yellow Games Workshop logo. Ooh. So you're talking mid to late nineties. Impressive. Yeah. So no, I think I got one at like some. We have a Michaels. It would have been like the copy yeah. of all, like Hobby Lobby or something like that uh, in the UK. Oh, for um, just, just to make Ed a little bit more sad again, I painted. I just threw in a couple of non-metallic metal figures into the uh, the Discord painting channel as well. <laughs> all right, hold on. Not Where, the best photos. So those are old ones. I can take better pictures now. Okay, so I am going to do the pop out thing so I can actually go there and look. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the look I'm looking for. That is exactly the look I'm looking for. That non-metallic metallic look. Now, is that just that gradation of color, and then it's a wash right over it, correct? Or a shade? No, that that is just lots and lots of layers of paint, more than just, you would want to do if you were saying. Right. Are you now? Did you wet blend those, or did those? Yep. Yeah. See, exactly. And that's just that's I'm never good at. It doesn't look good, but okay. I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. I mean, I worst case scenario, I can just go with. Um, painting them white and then doing <laughs> ultramarines blue contrast paint over it and just let them be. Like if I care that much, I, but the problem is I do care and I do want them <laughs> to look good. And I want I'll, that. Not I'll have good. a think of some cheaty techniques for you. I do. So one of the video series I keep having bouncing back and forth is um, just like between two and five minute videos of this is how you paint this effect. Like the Warhammer channel does. Yeah, but I I keep meaning to do them, and it's just really hard to because you've got to set everything up and have a lighting perfect. Uh huh. And and I I need to have like three models that all need the same thing on, so I can do multiple takes and get the best one and all of that kind of stuff. And that's but, the one you're gonna show. That's why I'm like super jealous, like because like uh, I I'll, I'll drop a couple of names. So like uh, Miniac and Midwinter Minis are the two favorites that I've really really enjoyed. Um, and when they do their painting videos, they've got three cameras going. They've got one in the palette, so you can actually see them mixing and blending their paints on their wet palette. They've got one on their face, and then they've got one right over the miniature that's absolutely perfectly lighted so that you can see every detail on the model and every stroke of the paint that they do. And I look at that and go, I can do that. I know I can do that. So it's just a question of finding the right technique to, to for me to work. I'm just going to have to do some test models. I'm going to start with a couple of the Scorpion uh, destroyers and start there and see what I can do. Cause I mean, they're going to be rank and file, so to speak. So I'll start on the low end guys, see if I can get those working worst case scenario, strip it off, go from scratch again. It's not, it's no big deal. Um, but yeah, so painting techniques, I, I it, my fear is that I'm like, it's paralysis by analysis. Like, so I'm trying to find the right technique and I haven't found it yet. So I haven't touched a model yet. And I don't need that for the warriors. I've got 20 warriors that I can just go blue metallic gold, a little bit of white, 
contrast paint, base, done. They could be done, but I'm <laughs> spending my time trying to figure out what am I going to do with those damn weapons when I get to the characters and when I get to the Scorpec Destroyer Lord? Like, what am I going to do? So, yeah. yeah. All right, so that's been my flight deck. That, that, that's been my hobby. So I know this is supposed to be a short show, and it's not. It's a normal, typical uh, <laughs> lack of focus. So, Chris, you brought an interesting main topic for tonight. Why don't you... Well, we, we touched on it a few shows ago, I think, of um, were conversion kits a mistake, effectively? So I think we started going in, and then we cut it short so that we could do it for a full show. So I don't want to really go into it too much and give t- give too much of my thoughts too early and like stifle a discussion of it. But yeah, that's the basic premise for today: is our conversion kits a mistake? So the let's get into the main meat of this one. So first edition is coming to a close. They announced at Worlds, or it wasn't Worlds? It was. It wasn't Worlds that they announced that, was that? I'm it's, trying to. Um, it's either there or Gen Con, one of the two. Well, they announced that the, they announced that they were doing conversion kits at Worlds when they announced um, second, second edition. edition. Yeah. The main premise behind it, of course, is you had a whole bunch of people who were playing X-wing back in the day, first edition. We all had ships, and I remember when they announced that second edition was coming out. People were going, were freaking out because, well, I've got all this first edition stuff. I mean, people even did videos online after the conversion kits were announced of them. Here's all my first edition stuff. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to burn all of it because, you know, it's useless garbage now. Admittedly, I may have gotten rid of my stuff too. Um, not all of it. I kept a lot of my good um, alternate art cards, which are going to be super hard to find now. The question becomes is, did FFG make a mistake by doing that? The premise at the time was that you were going to maintain and appease your existing players by saying oh no 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 no! you don't have to go anything buy anything new buy a conversion kit for your faction everything moves over into second edition done i've always made the argument that financially that was not the right choice for ffg because it's funny uh, that people people think of a conversion kit as a cash grab then I, I would no, absolutely put, not. I would put money on FFG losing money. Not even on you having to buy. Not not even the fact you have to buy new ships if they don't do them. I would just flat up say that they just lose money on conversion kits. Like, they have. To. It's a hell of a cardboard. I don't think they lose money because they're because they're doing such a mass production on things like that. You're looking at you know. No, I don't think that's what he means when he means lose money, though. I don't think he means... I, mean, I get what right you're talking about, but when you're looking at all of this, you're looking at, you know, margin percentage. It's It comes down to your rate of return. You know, what's your return on investment when you do this? Well, number one, I think this is why you can argue that conversion kits were good is because it kept a player base. But did it? No, I think it did. I mean, there was still a lot of people playing X-Wing in 2nd Edition at the beginning of 2nd Edition, which is what the conversion kits did, is it allowed them to keep that player base so when they did Wave 1, Wave 2, those things, you're hoping those players are still sticking around to buy those ships to make money on. And keeping the analogy that everyone was pointing out at the time was whenever they went from the, um, what am I thinking, Song of, Song of Ice and Fire, the Game of Thrones uh, LCG, 
They had the Game yeah. of Thrones LCG, the one from first edition. And when they went from first edition to second edition, they basically said everything in first edition doesn't count. That game is over. Here's second edition starting with this box set. And there were plenty of people that bitched and, mo- bitched and moaned. Well, what about all the stuff that I paid for? It doesn't count anymore because that's not the current game. And I think that scared FFG to the point where like, okay, well, we need to placate to the players that are existing, which in my opinion was the mistake. Uh, this so this leads to I, so many mistakes in I my opinion. I think I have a better take for you. Sure. Which is slightly more apt to what we're talking about. I think anyone who um, is familiar with Mansions of Madness the transition from first edition to second edition of Mansions of Madness, they did um, two boxes, one for people who'd bought the first edition and one for people who'd bought the expansions for the first edition. And it introduced a world of the cardboard tiles and everything. But it was a limited run print that was just like, yeah, you can use your stuff. And then none of that stuff was ever planned to be released for for Mansions second edition. So the only way to own it was to either have bought the first edition stuff or to buy these conversion packs for whatever the print run was. Um, Because they're still printing conversion kits now, aren't they? um, I don't know that they're still printing them. I know that there's a lot of stock floating around. That's an interesting analogy. I would argue that, well, the first point that Sean brought up of retaining players i think in the short term is 100 percent correct more people like people left at second edition was announced because no one likes change a portion of those people stayed because they had conversion kits but i would argue that the majority of those people have maybe majority is wrong wrong because i that's not maybe not factually accurate but i would say a proportion of those people have still just left anyway like realistically, if you compare us as a group to how much we used to play and how involved we used to be, we all bought conversion kits. But like, yep. how how many X wings have we bought between us? I mean, I'm probably the abnormality here in that I sold all my old X wings and bought new ones. So I own um, <laughs> turns around and looks. I, the I, I've got four four of the new X wings including one from Saw's Renegades, and I own zero of the old ones. But that that isn't them retaining me. I think, though, your your point about people don't like change is very valid. I also think, too, there were a lot of people that, and this is just from people that I talked to, it was kind of like that when first edition was done, it was like complete. You know, for, for even them, it was complete. And they didn't want to buy into second edition. Number one... At the beginning of all of this, we really had no idea because I remember us having these conversations about having to rebuy all the ships because of new pilots. You know, if you recall, we had those conversations because we didn't know. We had no idea because FFG really didn't put it out there. Uh, so they said that you wouldn't have to buy uh, the new ships to get the cards that are in the convert. Uh, to uh, If you bought a conversion kit, you wouldn't have to buy one of the new ships to get the get right. new cards that you didn't have in the conversion kit. Right. And I think that was a mistake because I, I mean, I, I think that start, like, really limited their, um, the potential to have growth and development of the ships and the pilots. I think it forced them into developing 
I'm just going to pick a number out of my ass, which someone, if someone counts the number of different ships, or like, like, they had to have 70 ships ready to go on release day instead of having like 12. Yeah. Like four, four per, there were three factions on release because they hadn't done, um, first order and resistance yet. So wave one, if you'd have done four ships per faction, that's 12 ships you had to balance and you can put the time in. And you you only have to look at the difference between, um, I don't think it was called Hyperspace at the time, was it? It wasn't Hyperspace and Extended. I think it was Second Edition and Extended. At the beginning. Like that. Yeah. At the beginning, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which leads to the point but, that I was going to go into. I'm glad you're going down this road. Yeah, but you, you only had to look at the balance between, yeah, Vader with Afterburners was probably not where it needed to be, but that was addressed quickly enough. And like hyperspace is the was the better format as a competitive game because it turns out that restrictions are good for game balance and if that's what you want. But I mean, I mean, I will will loop back around to this. But listening to people tell you what they want is never the correct solution. Uh, anyone who's tried to decide where to go to dinner with their wife. Listening to what people want and asking them is not the correct answer. I, I think, too, one of the reasons why, which I don't think we realized in the beginning, but why second edition exists, why the conversion kits had to be done, I firmly believe now that second edition came into being so that they could put first order, so that they could put resistance in, and then later down the road, they could go to Clone Wars. Because you can create a system of gaming where you don't have to crap out 40 ships to match the other three beginning factions. So you can take a game that has, and I don't know how many ships there are per faction. I never got into that, but you know, let's just say you had 20, 20 and 16. You don't have to crap out 16 ships in a new brand new faction to allow the game to be balanced for a faction. You can crap out two ships and it would still fall into because you have a way to play that allows you to restrict the amount of ships that are in the game to begin with from all the other factions. And I really think that's why second edition actually exists. They say it's because of design space. You know, they say it's because of app. They say it's because of all that. But I really think that they kind of hit a point where they were, you look at how poorly they released scum in the beginning. You know, try to play yeah. scum without depth because you had the Imperials and the Rebels with so much depth. Well, so, so, so what did they do? They put out imbalanced scum ships. Thank you, exactly. To match the power of the other factions. Yeah, rather, they than, rather than putting out more ships at one time, they actually created more problems because of that. You know, because... So they, they created imbalances to try to create balance. It's interesting to me that you picked on first order and um, the resistance as the, the, the joining point where they second edition really needed to take its jump. I was going to make the argument that whenever they introduced scum into the game is when they made that jump because of that reason, because whenever they introduced the scum faction in first edition, they had to push the power level of two particular ships uh, specifically the IG-88s uh, back whenever those came out to be able to match up with and catch up to the other ships and they never recovered from that. 
and they were constantly playing catch up. It, it became when you don't have depth. The only the only thing you can do is to create imbalance to balance. You know, right? You're 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 constantly. And I, I agree with that, but I my point isn't that that was the point when that happened. I think second edition happened because of they learned their lesson from scum and villainy. Yes, so you reset an entire game so that you can put out. But I think I think first edition was done. I think first yeah, edition I, became more had more akin to a card game than a tabletop miniatures game. And I do agree with that. I'm saying that was a good stopping point, which could be an excuse, you know. But ultimately, I think second edition was in the pipes even before we hit that point. Well, I I don't know personally because I I didn't have anything to do with second edition. But I do think that because I had heard rumors a year before that second edition was coming by people that I thought were reliable people. And... Basically, the rationale that I always got was they're learning their lesson from what they had to do with Scum and Bill. So I I agree. One of the other things I think that and now knowing what I know now is that if they were going to make changes to cards, like one of the big things was always points. And having points printed physically on the cards really hamstrung them on balancing issues. And I think they recognize that. So I agree. Personally, I genuinely think that it started with Scum continued on whenever they introduced because they had no other choice they had the lfl license so force awakens comes out now you have to have resistance now you have to have um uh, resistance there's only a couple of ships in the movie where do you squeeze them in well they're just going to go on the rebel side they're just going to go in the imperial side so you know you have darth vader and kylo ren flying in the same squad because that makes sense so i think i think the two things really is what killed first but i don't think that's first edition i think they still treated it as a board game or a card game or a living it was mm. a living card game that used miniatures first like x-wing first edition was a living card game that had a miniature component yeah because they're just they're vi- they're visual aids more than anything else like legitimately yeah. you could play with nothing but bases if you really wanted to i i think the goal with second edition was to transition it into a miniatures game that had cards yes. that can be like, how successful that is is um, up for debate. Well, I think, I think <laughs> but, the first edition, you have to go to the roots of first edition, which was Wings of War, which was a card game that moved miniatures. You know, when you get down to it, that's all Wings of War, and then later Wings of Glory were, was a card game that moved miniatures, which is exactly the same thing that you had uh, with I think, playing, except you didn't have cards. You had, you They broadened it into Niffin and uh, what's his name, broadened it broadened it into a faster game, having the technology on the dials. The most succinct way to think about it is uh, when we were doing Nova and talking about first edition, we didn't talk about positioning and moving the ships or like um, formation flying or like this kind of thing. It's always card combinations. Yeah, it was always squad. Like, it was. In the it was in the beginning in the like wave one, two, three, right up until like right around wave four. It was, but then it quickly moved away from that. Well, but, wave that's, three, that's, why wave I, three. that's why I call it the uh, a card game with miniatures because it was always like okay, so push for limit or or expertise, uh, then like that's then shield upgrade, so we get the extra shot on quick draw, then. Palpatine's going to go here, and it it's about the upgrade you're putting on it, 
What was it? Buying hundred dollar epic ships because you want at the beginning of it though. At the beginning of it though, I don't think it was that way. Wave one, wave two, wave three. Wave three probably was the seed that started it because wave four, when it came in, had a great effect on the wave three ships. And then you had wave four come in, which really, to me, and it was really their design of one ship that kind of broke the game, which was (laughs) And you could start seeing it. You could start seeing that whole arc change. And then wave five. So was there anything wrong with the Phantom or is it the card? Is it advanced cloaking device? Actually, I think it was the card itself and the way that the pilots interacted with it because you didn't have pilots really before that push the limit was the biggest thing before that and then you had the boost action which was added wave three but wave four when you had a ship that literally could start in one spot and could end up in a completely different spot pointing back at somebody at a high enough pilot skill to where there's nothing you can do about it you know maybe yeah i mean and that's it. This is this is talking about the combination of Whisper, Veteran Instincts, and Advanced Cloaking Device, and that's what I mean. We're still talking about a card combo. Yep. But it was uh, way forward that that really took that because Suture fell in Wave Three didn't quite break the game. Suture fell was difficult to deal with. Yeah, PTO Suture was hard, but he was able to be dealt with because he. Right. Had, it's not. It's right. it's easy. You take a turret. That's what I'm saying. Because auto, auto thrusters don't exist yet. You don't right. have uh, you you don't have saying, the Royal Guard tie. Wave title. four broke the game because it affected good wave three ships and just made them better. When you put auto thrusters in the game, you know there were so many things that they did wrong that we proved well, them. That's, you know, I mean, that's what I'm trying to like to yeah. steer us back to com- talking about conversion kits. So. Right. The solution to the problem was we'll put a card out that fixes it. So it becomes a card game where you, yeah, it's the combos that you build in the squad building that matter, not the playing the game on a table. In my opinion, by introducing conversion kits from day one, you are seeding that problem already. Like they didn't have, like, there still aren't as many cards as the, or it doesn't feel like there's as many cards as first edition, but you are putting yourself behind the eight ball, as it were, by having those kits in place, rather than letting the letting the game grow from scratch again and letting it evolve into what type of game you want. You're, you're kind of bridging too much of first edition into second edition. So let me ask you this. If, if hyperspace would have been the true competitive side then, you allow the conversion kits to allow the ships to still be valid, to be able to be uh, the plastic to be valid for anybody that wants to play that, but you leave competition into the pigeonholed. Yeah, I, I think we're, yeah. we're all on the same page. I think that the way I feel like, I think we'll all agree on this, which is why I'm kind of like coming at it from a weird angle and being really touchy feel of it. But I think we'll all agree that if they'd have released the um, conversion kits and said, look guys, everyone who's bought stuff can still use it. And then never spoken about them again, never even mentioned extended. That was just the, the other, like called it legacy. So it's, we can use a magic reference that we would use from the start. This is a legacy format and this is standard format. So and if never show the two meet. 
Yeah, if your local store wanted to, they could run a legacy event that ran the old ships with the, you can still play the YV-666. No, there's no new update for it. Right now, we're only playing with X-Wings and TIE Fighters and TIE Advance, and we're only playing with these eight ships in competitive play. But if you want to play a more friendly, open environment, still play those, and that's kind of the wonky area where all the overpowered shit sits in. Sure, cool, great. You can go over there, and you can still play your game. But this, and that's what I've always said. I stated this from the beginning that that's what I was You and I, Ed, were on this train since day one. I I we we even argued it with Chris multiple times that our belief was that hyperspace was what 2.0 was. I I agree. That's what I wanted as well. I'm just stating that we were wrong. FFP doesn't care about what we want. But Ed and I took a little longer to get to that point than you did, yeah. Chris. I'm, I don't think I'm still there yet. Like, I've accepted it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. But what it oh, would have I done... I don't like it. Oh. It would have done is it would have hit the reset button on the game and said, these 12 ships are what's currently legal. And as new ships get released, they get updated, and then they slowly get brought into the fold, and you can develop them slowly and start and- adding those slowly. And then what you can do is, like Magic does, is have rotational periods with ships. Exactly. So that you're changing the game incrementally a little bit, as long as you don't take ships that are extremely important to a faction out until something else can replace it. What happens, though, Ed, I think with the concept that we're talking about here is we get into 1.0 again in 2.0 at wave 8, 9, 10, because of the power creep is going to be there because so, you're adding more ships. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, and here's why. Because second edition introduced repointing of upgrades and ships. So you could rotate an X-Wing out at 25 points, and three waves later, rotate it back in at 28. Meaning the ship itself is still functional. But, but the cards don't change. So points may change on cards, Ah ha ha, my friend. Hold on, hold on. Not on the physical card, but the points may change for a card, but the text on the card doesn't change. Like, it doesn't fully change, so it's in the game. So as an example, you know, auto thrusters, now it was built into the ship, but if you're going back to first edition ideas, once you open, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's very hard to put it back in the bottle without banning it from the game. Ah ha ha, my friend. But that's where where subtext uh, comes in. I, I, I would argue that they've shown a willingness, though, Sean, to which we just remove something that's problematic from the game. No, when no, we no work I, 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 not, that's not my point here. I, I really want to get my point out here, though, is that we're talking about from the beginning that that potential was there. I think that the development shifted a little bit as time went on when they did the first points update. When they did the first actual card, we'll call it change, you know, they realized it, but I don't think they knew that in the beginning because they released everything carte blanche. Yeah, but they're not at a juncture, like legitimately where they're at right now with the game, they're not at a juncture where they could not course correct that. They're not. They're at a point that if they wanted to, they could take hyperspace and say, this is tournament legal. Which This is is like, this is tournament legal. And they could play it. They have said that just because, so... Obviously, Worlds isn't happening this year. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, but Worlds was supposed to be extended again this year. They they came and said that that doesn't mean that Worlds is always extended. There may be a Worlds format. 
there may be a hyperspace format that we use for worlds. We have the ability to do what we want to do, but at the moment we want to do it as extended, which is fine. I, we might not agree with that choice, but that's I, I think though, that's that's their way of trying to reach out to the broader fan yeah. base of the game because there's people that really I know people that don't like hyperspace that want to have all their toys and have the ability to play with all their toys. In what you're saying is you, you know people who can lie to themselves quite well, is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Uh, uh, what faction is this person playing? Uh, they play multiple, actually. They don't yeah. play multiple. Right, so I, I bet you are not fielding scum Z95s. No. There's I, no bet you, I bet you they own them, but we don't care about fielding they're, them. I bet you're not fielding... They still min-max. Yeah. So like, the game it turns because, out because that, exists, the min max still exists. Yeah, it turns out that having more options doesn't mean that there's more good options. Correct. It means but, there's less good options because it's harder to balance because there's more options. So it, people still gravitate yeah. towards the the, the min max. It's always going yeah. to be a min max game. That's why I think so, you, you started to see lists starting to go back into that refocus period where you're starting to see the same lists pop up at tournaments and win tournaments. Yeah. Like you added that, that's always my argument against people who say, I want to play with all of my toys. It's like, okay, when did you when did you last field this ship? Right. Uh, I see exactly. it in your case. You want to play with all your toys. That's why aren't you playing with it? Because it's no good. But, yeah. Or it's not good enough. It's and, not good enough, considering yeah, you have yeah. all of these other no, options. That, that's not what he wanted to do. It is because if all if you only care about winning, it doesn't matter then. Yeah. Are you, you're all, you're imposing this restriction on yourself, which is more limiting than hyperspace. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I'm in full agreement there. And uh, the, I would say it's the same the, mindset. Uh, I think it's the same mindset in American politics. You know, <laughs> where, where we want we hold on, where we want one thing, so we pick and address everything. You know, we we don't address everything, but we pick that side. It's the same thing with this. Where you're right, Chris where there'll be toys that their terminology is, well, I want to play with all my toys, and then the majority of their toys never leave their box yeah, because right. they're not quality list material. I mean, they the, wanna, the, the data like, tells us that the, the list people play in Extended, there's less variance in the list in Extended than there are in Hyperspace. Right. Right. So people who tell you they want to play Extended because they want to use all their toys are lying. Well, I think they're they, they might be lying to themselves. I just say it's self justification or self lying yeah. in that. But I'm, I'm not so saying they're maliciously the lying. Is, but... The problem is, those at Fantasy Flight listen to those people when it came yeah. to tournament play. Um, where we get back to this crux of this one is they listen to those folks and we're like, we don't want to piss all those folks off, so we're going to release these conversion kits. Yeah. So but I would say, so getting to the that if it was a mistake for FFG. Uh, the thing that really brings it home for me was the statement that you don't, if you own a conversion kit, you don't have to buy a new ship. Yeah. That's a mistake because. From a financial and, perspective, it's a mistake. Uh, not even from a financial perspective. A gameplay perspective, uh, it's huge. Uh, they, they converted the ships. Then last minute, they added in that extra pack for Rebels, Imperials, and Scum of extra pilots. But now it's like, okay, well. Um, I, I have no idea how I'm going to add in um, well, the new Poe Dameron. Mm -hmm. So now we've got to do a squadron pack. So now you have to buy a box of three ships instead of a T-70. 
which is what I thought we were getting away from when we said we weren't going to be doing aces anymore. Yeah. So we getting away from that. No, I don't. No, again, I'm an idiot. So I've got rid of my T70. I think I kept one of the black ones because I wanted a black one. So I've got one where the wings don't move, but the rest of them are new T70s. But now I've got to buy more to get the other stuff. So I have too many. Well, I think they went the other way with it. You know, I, I think what, what they saw was were the three ship packs. What was it? Uh, um, um, Servants the, of Strife and Guardians yeah. of the Republic. Yeah, the two three ship packs. And they saw that they sold. So now the enticement's there to do it again. I, I'm... I. I mean, it sounds like I was a bit negative on that, and I'm not. I'm actually really happy that it's actually happening now because it does allow them to make the game better. I think in it's hard to put this in a, a timescale because of the current environment we're living in, but I would say by the time all of these squadron packs are out and all of the stuff we know about is on the table and we are playing on tables again, touch wood that X-Wing actually survives COVID. Um yeah. I think that the game will be in a much healthier state. I just hope that they kind of sweep the, uh, the extended and the conversion kits under Rupture Strike. Yeah, it's been three years now. Like, if you, not, like the people who made a fuss don't play X-Wing anymore. Let's be honest. Like, the All you've done by having them is create a barrier to entry and a tier system to X-Wing that I don't think is what anyone wanted well that was that was my argument from day one yeah it's exactly what you just said was you create a barrier to entry which is i mean how turn players away that's uh, why extended never should have existed in the first place so i don't know how much of this is talking out of school or not so i don't think i'll get in trouble for saying any of this but the way i managed to sell so for the store to for the store to be able to get a Thai Reaper to sell to someone in Calgary who would like a Thai Reaper, I had to go to get my playtester credits, spend them on the Asmodee US web store to order uh, Thai Reapers from America, pay the import fee, then return them to the store as if I'd bought them from the store. So they that's the only way a Canadian shop is getting product it, it was me using my playtester obviously i could have paid cash but it's not good for me then and then there's no margin at all you're literally selling them at a loss right so i sacrificed my playtester credits so that i could get tie reapers so that people in calgary wanted to play tie reapers could buy one because they're not in the distribution chain in canada so yeah, there's a lot of them in America. So they decided to not release this, the repacked second edition version because it was the the last release. So it came with second edition cards, but you've got vast parts of your market who can't access that. But that's been yeah. that way. That's been that way in other countries since day one. Brazil, <laughs> Mexico, Brazil had issues. We used to always had to find ways to supply things to the people in Mexico because they couldn't get a tournament. Are you sure that's the right terminology for America? Calling, like, say Mexico has people? Yeah, well, it's... uh, Ironically, yes, because these are people that we knew and we played with, you know? And and that's what the community was. The community that I dealt with and that I worked with was that type of community where we would find ways to get kits 
You know, and these are the big brown box kits, the old. Oh know, yeah, the the giant ones. Yeah, you know, we, we would find a way to do it. You know, and yeah. so that our friends in well, other there's countries, so many jokes about smuggling stuff across borders and <laughs> Mexico should have built a wall to keep you guys out. Yeah, we're getting stuff into Mexico for they couldn't get stuff in or down to Brazil because the people had local game stores and they couldn't get access to anything because of distribution stuff. Because y'all got any more of those MDAR alphas? I still have mine if you want them. So to get back to the direct question that this topic was, were the conversion kits a mistake? My final answer on this one is no, not necessarily. What I think was a mistake was the organized play that followed them. So. I have no problem necessarily with retaining the customer base of the people that had already bought chips, myself included, who benefited from buying conversion kits, which they are still available for sale on their web store, by the way. No problem with the idea of like, I don't need to go out and buy a new TIE Fighters because I own 14 of them. I just need to get one conversion kit to bring them over. I'm okay with that. The problem I think that's What's that? You needed two conversion kits. Yeah, I needed two conversion kits. Because so it only convert- does four TIE Fighters. Come on. I know. That's why the rest of them are sitting over there as display models with my um, <laughs> sitting stuck up underneath my uh, the Gazanti right now. <laughs> that's where four of them are sitting right there, uh, sitting in the Gazanti. Not Gazanti anymore. Uh, the problem, in my opinion, um, was the organized play that went with it. If they had paired that with this is what organized play is going to look like, these are the only ships that are quote-unquote tournament legal in standard i hate bringing the magic the gathering terms in but it is true this is what standard x-wing is and competitive x-wing in year one is going to be these ships in standard as new ships are brought in they will be what is standard the rest of that is considered extended or modern or whatever the hell you want to call it Uh, and then you can have events there but the main competitive track is second edition with these ships moving forward and slowly add those ships in and slowly adjust those points if they had done it that way, the conversion kits would not have been a mistake. They would have been fine. However, the direction that they went is what made it a mistake. So I genuinely put the the onus um, on the organized play and how they decided to go, as opposed to the product itself. That having that's taking out of the equation the no one's buying new ships because the, the, the argument you made when was the last time you bought an X wing? I haven't. I've got four sitting there, and I've got five sitting in my case right there. I've got nine X wings, two of which so, are for series. Uh... I don't need any more X-Wings. Right, the, there's a slight margin for error for these numbers because I've looked at a hell of a lot of numbers on computers for stock in the last week. But I'm pretty sure I in the Sentry Box we have about 54 TIFOs. Because And like, you can run out of them now and it's a good list, but no one's buying second edition ships because why would you when you can buy a conversion kit? Right. Because I already have them. Why do I need them? Yeah. And FFG have told you that there's nothing in this that you don't get in this other box. Correct. I mean, well, especially when you, you're looking at. Like, if there was like, some like company who printed ships or a 3D printer was a thing that existed in the universe, technically you'd just buy a, a conversion kit and then print your ships. And like, you. you repaints are allowed, remember? So as a store, do you have to go around and like break someone's model in half to see if it's a legitimate model or not does anyone care but but well if i want to sell some of these 50 odd tifos i care if someone's printed um eight of like eight tifos 
FOs and just bought a conversion kits. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I, like, I agree. I think the business model didn't work the way that they wanted it to because I think that they thought, you know, you throw new plastic crack out into the world that already had too much plastic crack, people would still buy, you know. I, I think, I mean, I'm being pretty glib with the, those statements and, like, so, like, Central Box is pretty lucky in that there's, like, two staff who know X-Wing. So we, I, I know. So the, the next wave, like, we're ordering more LATs than, and HMPs than we are the Thai FO, oh, sorry, the First Order Shuttle. Like, we're getting a, a decent chunk, but we're ordering more of the other ones because we know they'll sell more. Yeah. I, I know we're ordering more HMP droid gunboaty things than we are anything else because they'll be cheaper. You'll want to field them in multiples. But generally, that's not the norm for a local game store. The norm is it comes in a how many is in a box? Okay, I'll get two boxes. Yeah. And then you end up being stuck with that many. 54 TIFOs sitting on the shelf. Well, and, in my opinion, this is a, a classic example of short term game, long term loss. Like in the short I don't, term. I don't think it was a gain. So uh, like, what I, do you gain by retaining a player who's not going to buy any of Wave 1? You don't. But I think in their thinking at the time, number one, I don't think that they knew what the hell they were doing to begin with because they went with a model. I think they tried to implement Thrones 2.0 model into X-Wing without understanding that you literally scrapped a game and created a new game and forced everybody to buy a new game, three core sets to be able to play, all of that. And I don't think that they understood that that doesn't work with Plastic Crack. It worked with that card game, but it didn't work with X. And I think that because I remember when the rumblings of 2.0 were up and coming before the announcement of Worlds, but everybody knew it was coming because, you know, it was leaked. There were things that were leaked. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Sean. I, there's no way I adjusted my flights to Worlds and extended my hotel stay because I knew that it would be an important announcement and I probably wanted to be there for with my video camera. So, so <laughs> the, an unboxing video on your YouTube channel. But you can show my most popular video. Fantasy Flight, Fantasy Flight, create, Fantasy Flight committed the mortal sin of listening to players. Because players were threatening when it started coming out. I remember it very clearly. Players, especially even in my local group, I'm done with the game if they bring 2.0 out. I'm not yeah. playing because all my ships are going to be worthless. I'm going to have to rebuy everything. And this is before the announcement of the conversion kits. And this is like six yeah. months before. I, I have a tangentially related question for you guys now. Um, I want to know if I am abnormal in this belief. Okay, so I, I, I've played from second edition forty k. I've played. So if you down here, I've got I have rune brand new rune wars stuff that I just bought because we had it on sale this weekend. Uh, Rune wars is a dead game. I, I own all four factions and have too much rune wars even if it wasn't a dead game right i am not annoyed or angry that it's a dead game because i paid for the product and i had fun playing with it and if i want to i can reach out to a couple of my friends and say do you want to have a game of rune wars and they'll say yeah and we'll play rune wars if they'd have said 
Uh, they could have changed risk itself. So, a good one here would be um, Adeptus Titanicus. Mm. I have a so people who don't know, um, Epic was a Games Workshop specialist game with six millimeter scale, and it was dead and support. It was really healthily supported by our community for like twenty years. So I yeah. was still playing I- it up until I moved to Canada, which is like seven years ago now. It feels a long time ago. <laughs> but like it had been dead for 15 years and I was still like tracking down models and buying stuff to add to my army. So I've got a, a fully models for that. Yeah. I've got a fully painted Titan Legion using the Forge World Titans and I converted Skatari for it and all that kind of stuff and the Forge Those World Titans. Forge World Titans, by the way, not the twelve hundred yeah. Forge World Titans. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then they re-released Adeptus Titanicus in it's between eight and ten millimeter scale, so I can't use those models anymore. They don't work. And oh. do you know? How, do you know what? Do you know what? I don't care. Like they can't take. Like they didn't come in and take away the fun that I had with those models. So, so really quick, I just I have to ask this question: Those models, did you assemble and paint those models yourself? No, I assembled them myself. This is the only army I've ever sent away. For a commission paint job, yeah, so I, I paid even more. Sucks, but there's a hobbyist side. Yes, to that game compared to X-wing, there is not. Like you said, X-wing is more relatable to a board game because you're getting pre-colored pieces. You know, and yeah. most board games you get now, you don't get painted pieces. I mean, what? I mean, I'm trying to do it in reverse by looking at my shelf at the moment. Um, I have a copy of. Um, Shadow of the Horn. No, not Shadow. That's a computer game. Um, Chaos in the Old World. Um, it's a game, FFG game, Games Workshop license, so it doesn't exist anymore. Yep, dead license, um, dead game. No one, no one came around my house and told me I'm not allowed to play it. Okay. No one's taken away the memories of playing it. You're, you're exactly 100% correct in your thinking that no one's going to, if, if 1.0 would have died, then all the ships would have died with 1.0 as far as the 1.0 plastic. No one, no one would have said any. You're correct, 100. percent Nobody would have. Like, those people though that were like, when second edition came out, they're like, I'm not playing second edition. I'm going to continue to play first edition. But, like, so I still get rules questions, like first edition rules questions on the rules question group. Seriously? Yeah. There are. I was just going to ask that question. Like, legitimately, does anybody know of anybody at all that's still playing in first edition at all? Uh, it's so not a lot. I, it's, it's maybe like it's maybe five questions a year. And generally, the answers are just buy conversion kits. Just play, like, play a second edition. It's a better game. But I, they, I don't know that if FFG had have gone second edition and said unfucking lucky, I don't know that I would have cared. I'll be, you, I'll be honest with you. I probably would still be interested in competitive X-wing if that's the route they would have taken. Yeah. But yeah. because but because they did the conversion kits and because they announced that tournaments were extended, I had zero care or concern about the game because I played in two tournaments. I actually played in two tournaments where the extended were the rules. I used my first edition ships, the second edition cards, and hated every fucking minute of it simply because I was playing first edition again, not in mm-hmm. not in the name, but in the list building. Because I came in with a fun list. I went to the tournament with a fun list, a neat, cool list. I think we even discussed it when I did it. Oh, the fire spray, isn't it? 
Uh, oh, was it in uh, Y Wings? Oh, no, 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 no. I, it was just a mix. I can't fully remember yeah. what it was. Okay. It was X Wings, Y Wings. It just had fun ships to play. Yeah. And somebody came in with a true, and this was just a small tournament, you know, at a local con, and people came in with medalists to play. Yep, because, yeah. because the depth was too big. And I, you know, Patrick McDonald and I are friends, and he took over the Omaha stuff from me. And he basically said, we have to play extended because it'll draw more people or whatever. I don't remember if that was the exact conversation. It's probably the right reasoning, though. That's what I, I, was thinking. Yeah. I disagree in that I think. But back then, you, you, you have to. Yeah, right. You have to cater to everyone. So I, I, I've run um, quick build tournaments. I've run epic tournaments. I, if you, as long as you have re- a regular thing of what the the serious events are, like warm up events for that. The competitive players are competitive and want to be competitive in whatever format you put in front of them. And I, I agree with that. But the, the, they would have adapted. Yeah. Yeah, and. But you'd be surprised at how much they, in my experience anyway, how much the competitive players enjoy a fresh challenge. Uh, that's why everyone enjoys when points come out, because it shakes everything up and they get to stretch their legs again rather than playing in what they believe is a, a solved meta. And, and that's what is good about second edition. That's one of the good points of second edition. But when when the Omaha League... And I, I haven't been involved with it from second edition and even the end of first edition on, but I was always telling the people who are running it, you have to have the mindset of playing. If you want to play extended, great. But what happens when the new player comes in and he has three ships and they're all from hyperspace black packs? How does that person have any fun when they're playing against medalists in your league? My suggestion was always, Make a requirement where when you come to play, you have a hyperspace list and you have a extended list so that if a new player comes in, you're just not cooking them off the table, which is what's going to happen if you're playing that way. And I know that we've discussed this before in the past where you've said, Chris, that there are hyperspace lists that can compete with some of the some of the meta extended list lists that are out there. To, to me, I yeah. think you your point is really good. I just think it's slightly off target. Because for me, it was always more, rather than the pebble levels, I think that like you can just put, well, I know I can, so I know that it's possible. But I can tone down my play style to make any game closer and more fun. Not everybody but that, yeah. yeah. But I think it's more of, I, obviously, now it's, I'm trying to think of a good example. I, I suppose. Um, Paul Heaver was just playing games with like, the Azatuk. So people will be running the Azatuk again, four Azatuks and an attack shuttle or something like that, I think it was. So people will be, have that out on the table again because Paul Heaver's just been playing it. And uh, he beat Ollie, so it was a world champion on world champion thing on the, the YouTube channel. So but I imagine that list got played. It wouldn't surprise me. So then the question now, Sean, is that's being played in your local game store. You've, you're uh, talking about it with the new player. Oh, the, uh, the world champion was just playing this list. It's really good fun. This is how it works. It does this, this, and this. So, oh, that's really cool. Can I get one? No. Exactly. That's. And that's it, it's not even about power level. It's like, 
This is really good film. You can't have it though. Right. Good luck. And that was my argument from the beginning. Yeah. It's always been from that new player perspective where yeah. oh well where do I get it's this? just making sure that the I mean, line yeah, is yeah. more that it's not power level and winning the game. It's being allowed or having the opportunity. It's gatekeeping in the it's always gonna the, be gatekeeping. Yeah. Like you are not allowed to have fun in the same way we are because you weren't here in first edition. Right. And, and, and I think you know, the conversion and, kits just facilitate that kind of gatekeeping. Why, why did shit. you bring me on Nova? You know, in the beginning, why did you bring me on Nova? I, I think someone me? told him to. <laughs> no, Roy introduced me to you because like this is a guy that knows his shit when it comes to this running a Sure, uh, sure this is what happened. I, I, I had a camera in the room. And I, Roy said to Ed, okay, this is your next fucking guest. You'll like it. <laughs> Roy was a sweetheart. Roy still is a sweetheart. Never told me once who to put on, what to do. These are your sponsors for this week. Always let us know anything. Roy, because it was Raid Shadow Legends. You know, it was was community building. That that was the first topic that you, it wasn't TOing, it was about community building. And I think it was. And it, it was it was probably the next show or the show after where Chris came on, I believe. And did, I don't remember because I don't. I never have listened to any of our podcasts ever. You shouldn't. You, and you shouldn't ever. <laughs> Nova, even to this, I don't. I don't have the time and the energy to sit there and listen to my. Oh, you should listen to this one. I truncate the silence, Sean, so it goes a lot quicker. It does. Yeah, but for me though, it's like the way that I talk. I can't stand it, but. And I know a lot of people in Nova hated it too. You know, try, try edit, trust me, I feel Christmas pain. Try editing the sound of your own voice. It was awful. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing is that I've always approached this game from community building first, TOing second, you know. And for me, I was lucky because I, you know, I started building the community of first edition before the game ever came out. When I saw it in the trade mag, I knew right then and there because it was described as Wings of War, but better, faster, you know, more complete. And it was Star Wars. And the moment that we got our hands on the core set, because somebody brought one back from Gen Con, you know, oh, and gave it, gosh, the store, those days. gave it to the oh. store, and then we played it. And I played it with, uh, with a guy that probably never has touched it again. And we had a blast, you know, because it was Wings of War. And then... I convinced Norm, the store owner, that we should have the league. And when those first kits came out, that's what it was all about. We got two kits. It was very hard to get. We had three kits that had the sticks, that had the measurement tools, the the red and green tools. We got three of those. And I'm still jealous, by the way. You know, (laughs) I never got one because I gave them all away. I know you gave them away. I'm jealous of those. Yeah. You know, then the target locks, of course, and then the shield tokens and then one through fives. Yeah, you know, that was the whole thing. That was the argument that I always made about 2.0 was when you make a game, and I made it actually to OP. I made it to Fantasy Flight openly. (laughs) When I was talking to them, that when you make this game, you have to make it so that your barrier to entry is zero. And they didn't do that. They, They didn't do that, and they created, as Chris calls it, which is great, is gatekeeping. Now we are in the world of gatekeeping. Because if you didn't have the ships, you need to go on eBay and buy a collection to get the ships you want to play now. If you weren't I mean, at 
Let's. I'll. I'll I'm gonna keep keep going. I'm gonna quickly see how much it would cost me to get four isotopes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's the problem, Chris. Is that for you to play extended in today's day and age in 2.0, you have to do this research and probably pay whatever it's going to cost you to get them. Well, and that's where I made that argument. So I go back, I still go back to this. I'm still going to stick on this. It's still one of my sticking points. That was one of the things I thought was most exciting because when they announced second edition, they announced that before they talked about what they were going to do about for organized play. So I was genuinely looking forward to what the meta would have looked like with wave one second edition. And that's it. All you have, if I'm trying to remember what came out on Wave 1 from 2nd Edition, but I believe it was the TIE Advance and the TIE Fighter. Um, you had the X-Wing and the Y-Wing, and you had like one or two ships from each individual factions. That would have been an amazing meta when you only had two ships. And the question was just which pilots you were putting on those. Because I remember being jealous. I didn't start playing X-Wing until Wave 3, where you could buy... Uh, what am I thinking? The uh, starter sets galore because they were everywhere. But God help you if you could find a B wing. So or God help you find a advanced. So Chris, real quick, uh, American Amazon, you can buy three because there's three yeah, just, in stock for twenty two ninety one each. Yeah, plus twelve dollars ship into Canada plus import fees. Right, right. So, so I could get three. So I'd only need to find one more. Right, but you may have to buy a collection to get one more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, so let, let's have a look on the FFG website, see if I can just go to FFG and buy. Oh, no, not available. Oh, darn. So, so when I bought into X-Wing, I bought four of everything right from the beginning yeah. because I figured there would be a mad rush on the game and we'd hit the doldrums. With no, I took, I took your advice. The reason why I bought as many as I did was because I took your advice and I was building a community in my local area of people that had never oh. seen the game, never played the game. Hey, Neek, can I play that? Well, I've only got one of these. Well, no, I've got four of these. Here, right. take the ship, take the cards. That's the reason why I bought as many as I did of the ships that I did in the beginning. Right. And that's that's exactly it. Is My philosophy was wave one, I bought four of everything. Wave two, I bought four of everything. Mm-hmm. Four of everything. And then we hit the doldrums. You know, if you recall, we hit a time when you couldn't find a fucking ship in the world. Starter set score, but you couldn't, you couldn't find a tie advanced. You'd have to murder somebody for a tie advanced. I, I think I only ever bought Y wings. Oh yeah, you could Rebel, find Y-wings. Rebel Y wings were uh, rocking horse shit. Yeah, because you because yeah. they were garbage and nobody wanted them. So I remember I could I ended up only ever buying in first edition one tie fighter right out of the blister because I bought multiple core sets for the X-Wings and the ties. So when I wanted to run my seven ties things, I bought three core sets and I had been tie fighters. And you, and you had Howl Runner or whatever card you needed out of the... How I, I ran, in those days, I ran Howl Runner, Backstabbers, and a bunch of Black Squadrons and Academy ties. Yeah, you had to have the blister to get the, one of the pilots that you ran. Howl Runner. Yeah, Howl Runner was the one you needed the blister for. So I only, I only own one of that card from first edition because I only ever right. bought one and because it was so hard to find. I think I ended up paying like $25. That's whenever ships were $15 a piece back then. And right. then $10 more because I found one on eBay. That, See, it, and that, that was the whole thing because when Wave 2 released, you they released, so they had the, uh, what the hell was it called? The Kessel Run event. Mm-hmm. So in Omaha, we had like the second largest Kessel Run event in the United States that I know of anyway. And we had, you know, 29 players come and play with with the 
reigning world champion that came also for that, Doug Kenny at the time, mm-hmm. uh, came to play in that. And ultimately, that event put me on the map as far as the TO goes, because we got people from Minnesota, we got people from Montana, we got people from around, you know, around the country that came, and they loved it. And then when we did our first regional, we had Matt Baxter, Matt Holland came down from and that's what got our group into playtesting during that time. And that really put me on the map because that was the year that I did uh, Gen Con. And they invited me to come help them at Gen Con. And then Worlds again after that, you know, that same year. But the whole point in all of this is it's always about community. Should Fantasy Flight forgot that. You know, Fantasy Flight, when they put out uh, second edition, they forgot community first. And it was proven because the tournaments were not hyperspace tournaments, they were extended. Extended. And they forgot. Hyperspace was like, hyperspace was, I really felt like hyperspace for the first year and a half really wasn't even, was an afterthought. It's it's almost like, I know that people do, do the um, um, quick start ones um, occasionally. Like I remember whenever they announced the OP stuff that there were supposed to be tracks. Like there was supposed to be a track that you could do the quick start one. There was supposed to be a track specifically for hyperspace. There was going to be a track specifically for extended. And all of that kind of like fell away and it just became extended because well, that's what Worlds was going to be. Right. Because they keep re- they kept rewriting what they right. wanted to do. They could never settle on it. And I think that was probably an upper management decision coming down on them. And I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I I'm think sure. there was a separation between the game designers and organized play. And who was making decisions on what was going right. to be because what? Because they're, they're in two different companies now. And, and also, also too, though, your game designers in the beginning were the game judges, where as time went on, the game designers weren't judges anymore. You brought judges in. Mm-hmm. You know, what I did, what I did, I was the first one that I know of for X-Wing that TO'd or judged anything. The next year, they started bringing in the contract, or not contract, but they still, I think, was 16, I think, when they started doing contract judges. But then in 15, they started bringing in the judges. The year that we all went there, I think it was 15, wasn't it? It was 15. And even then, Max Brooks was still running around with a judge's shirt on at Worlds. Right. He was the only one, but you had other judges that were from yes. other areas, you know, TOs from other places. Yes, yes. But Max was like, would have been considered the marshal. Yeah, he would have been the head right. judge. Thank you, Frank Brooks. Sorry, I don't know how I did. It was the other one. Yeah, Frank. Yeah, Frank and, and Alex. <laughs> one of the many people with Brooks in their name who works at FFG. Yeah. I apologize to the yes. Frank Brooks. Sure. I am yeah. so sorry. Yeah. I don't know how I messed that up. Frank, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry. I, it's okay. He, he won't. <laughs> there are so many Brooks at work at, yeah. <laughs> at FFG now. Yeah. Later on, though, that's when you know it became the split. You know, it became the asthma day and all that. Yeah. Yeah. The minute that they did that, the minute that uh, organized play came out of the design hands and went over to asthma days when these decisions were made. And I get where they're coming from. It's just wrong. It's just the wrong decision. And I think it's starting to start. This would, I hate to say, this would be a perfect time to hit a reset button on organized play because there's nothing oh, going it, it, it is uh, they've everything's canceled basically they said they put an article out which yeah. was pointed out to me on our discord yeah because i've missed it i actually read it yeah yeah I um, not anyone who, anyone who's got kits do what the fuck you want uh we'll probably we'll see you next year effectively yeah that's uh, that's the cliff notes of it do what the fuck you like with the stuff we've sent you we might be sending more stuff in November. Well, they still uh, have been 
tournaments, the, the, the yeah. star tournament. Yeah, like the normal garbage again will yeah. come out. But do what the fuck you want. We'll see you next year. It was right. effectively the uh, everything, the primes and all that are done. They're they're canceled. Yeah. Now, did they do that specifically in the X Wing one, or is that just the all of their news everything, people? everything, a hundred percent? It's on. I'll send you a link. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had it on my phone. I don't know if it was on their site. It's on the the homepage for it. Well, that's not a yeah. that's not a reset button. Though. That is a pause button until 2021. Yeah, but remember that they've just let go of half of a department and have now paused it. Uh, August 24th. Um, it's a top <laughs> article on the news. Love you, Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Postponed um, events: the Star <laughs> Championships and Grand Championships. Keep an eye out for communication to do that. Uh, events on hiatus. Primes, Continental, World, System Open, Vault Tours, Vault Warriors, Kyote, Arkham Knights, and Fellowship events. So everything. But that's what I'm saying, though. Like, So if Asmodee they wanted to, they could hit the reset button on competitive play right now. They could be talking about it right now. They could be resetting it right now and saying, when we come back in 2021, here's what we're going to do. This is the tournament legal standard. Everything else is out. They've already yeah. appeased all of those players. All of those like players. So, all of those players are fucking not in the game anymore. Like you, you talk. The the problem is like, we are on a podcast. It's hard to believe. I know that the the twenty people who listen to us, we love you all. But like the the podcast community and like the is. Well, let's say 60 people around the world, probably maybe 100, and then ex- extrapolate that into maybe a 1,000 people actually like are involved in in it. Of those people, there's maybe like 20, 30 people who cared about Extended and still and still do. But the, the, in the community, the, the rest of the community sees and listens to and makes it a conversation because they drive a conversation. Like yeah. we're, I'm not saying we're, I won't say we're doing it now because I don't post any of this anywhere. So it won't like become a talking point, but you never know. It might. Uh, being, it like, sounds like I, work. If it were me and I were Asmodee. Yeah. Like, gonna, I'm, like, I'm okay. on board. Like just, Take your time to see what you want to do with the game. Now you're releasing these squadron packs, which is step one of undoing the, in my opinion, the wrongs you committed in limiting yourself to what was in the conversion kits. Because as soon as you limited yourself to like, ah, we want to pick a ship. So the gunboat, everyone loves a gunboat. If they release a gunboat model, they can't under their own self-imposed rules. They can't give you any new pilots. They can't give you any new configurations because they said they wouldn't. Two years ago. Yeah. And it's like, well, w- but what about if those pilots are garbage and we don't care? Could, like, you, yeah, I accept you can't change them, but could we have like an extra valve thrown into one of their names and be the clone pilot that's got a different ability, so it's good? Mm-hmm. And like, but no, well, we could, but we'd have to do a squadron pack for that. So yeah, because no. again, I don't know how long I'm. I, I, I'd love to go back to some of our first episodes to see where I thought it would be two years from now, like how long we thought it would take to convert all of the first edition ships to second edition ships. But I well, don't think. R- remember, we didn't think 
we didn't even talk about the potential for like clones and true. Um, we did not have any stuff right away. It was it was it became evident pretty quickly once like posters hit the store and stuff like that. And like we we might have, I believe, um, uh, I may be wrong in this assumption, but I think we all assumed that it was going to follow a similar release to, um first edition where it was trying to be spread across releases across all platforms rather than they've been a lot better that they'll do like one or two waves back to back which focus on a sync like the two mirror factions mm-hmm. so we're getting rebel uh, rebel releases and um republic and cis releases to bulk out those factions together and not really doing anything for rebels resistance all of that stuff but then you're going to get resistance packs and the First Order stuff. And um, just doing it in that way, I think, lets them have a much more balanced approach. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, so are yeah. we done? Are we? I'm sure we could keep going around well, I, the weeds on I this. I keep beating this dead horse of <laughs> over and over again. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I still feel... I've, I, I, mean, was, I was force-fed to accept Epic, or not Epic, um, Extended, as Extended is X-Wing. But if there so, were a time at all, now would be that time to correct the, that. Uh, the, there's a potential to upset some of our listener base with this statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, COVID's been really good for one thing, and it's been to show people how little competitive X-Wing actually matters to the game. Like, People are having fun playing in like all of these online events that are happening, and yeah, they're um, they're going on at the moment, and they're being taken seriously by a lot of people. But the lists that are, are in them aren't the lists that we would be seeing if we were playing real X Wing, and no. like the quality of play, it, people are just fucking around playing X Wing because it's something to do and it's fun, and people are realizing that competitive X Wing doesn't really matter, and like. So hopefully, this goes good hopefully for that that follows through, and we can get to a point where yes, we will have competitive X-wing, but it will be more along the lines of what we're talking about with the hyperspace kind of stuff. Once once more people are on board with oh like yeah whatever you're just flying whatever extended garbage is the current norm, then yeah. maybe so. This goes back to, again, I'm going to draw another uh, Magic analogy. It's one of the things that always drove, drove me nuts about how Magic uh, the Gathering announced their bannings for Standard or other formats, and that they always based it on the competitive meta. So you have uh, an Invitational with 32 people, and they're like, ooh, of those 32 people, 18 decks all contain this one card. That's kind of a little bit higher price. Like, they're ignoring the millions of people that play the game and focusing on a very small aspect, the competitive side of it. So it's okay if it's an unfun card or in an X-Wing term, an unfun ship for the rest of them, as long as it's not, is you know, until it becomes an issue in the competitive one, it's not an issue really for everyone else. And I, that, 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 that mentality has never made sense. I I think FFG have always been, well, in second edition anyway, FFG have been good about that. Like, you can go back to to the Upsilons. They weren't a force in competitive because there hadn't been enough events for them to be, but it was a potential for them to be an unfun way of playing the game. The the kibosh that they put onto um, the handbrake hand stuff, 
mm-hmm. happened pretty quickly. So they're being more reactive on what negative play experiences and what they deem to just be like, no, that's not how we want the game to work. Uh, and I think that tends to be more leaning towards um, garage play and like playing on your kitchen table rather than the high-end competitive. Well, that's just me. Yeah, no, no, no. I will, I will completely agree with you in that format. So I did post on Discord that we were recording and asked if there were any questions. Ooh. So we can blast through these if no one has anything else. No, I think we've beaten this dead horse. Yeah. I mean, I'd still oh. love to throw kicks in, but I'll do that on my own time. <laughs> uh, so Patrick says, should Sabine in the attack shuttle be more popular? And this is a perfect chance for me to shout at Patrick saying no, because it's extended and everyone hates extended. You should only play hyperspace and play fun X-Wing. Uh, but no, um, there you go. Sabine in the attack shuttle has got a broken power ability. Uh, mm-hmm. So the reason why it should be more popular is because it gets back to first edition card wing, where you can build combos as such that she gets focus evade every round. So yeah, so it, it, they it, wouldn't are going to do at yeah. least some original design for second edition. Because uh, she so before she activates, she can do a boost or a barrel roll, and she also has barrel roll into linked action focus, uh, linked action evade on the attack shuttle. So she can barrel roll, do a red evade, move, clear the stress, and then do a focus. Or you can put um, debris, debris gambit on her, so the, fo- the evade would become white. Uh, so she could still have an open dial and do stuff. So yeah, she's good. She's also really expensive. And if I was going to take an attack shot, I'd probably take Zeb because I want cheap access to a three dice attack. Yes. So there's a real answer. Other than shouting at you, there's a real <laughs> answer. I would rather take Zeb. Okay, Alan has a real question. Um, on squadrons, do you need to hold us or not to hold us? Are you going to go full throttle and stick, or are you going to do controller? Ooh, well, if I'm going to be doing it on PS4, it's going to be controller. So, um, as a side note, I'll bring this into the show. Sure, why not? Um, prior to the show, warm-ups before we got recording, one of the things I proposed to Chris was establishing, and since those of you in Discord will be listening, uh, was establishing a once-a-week uh, Discord squadron night, where we would all hop onto squadrons, and Chris would stream it on his YouTube channel. So we'd have five Maybe. minutes... Yeah, yeah, because I'm gonna. I, I'm I'm giving Chris this job. I I came up with the idea. I'm not gonna be the one facilitating. Yeah. Uh, I, Chris might choose to just come and play squadrons with you all rather than working, but we'll see. We'll figure something. If I have to host, it, <laughs> if, joking. if there is a spectator mode, I absolutely do it. I just wanted to get the audio for it, but I thought it yeah. would be a cool idea on on either YouTube or Twitch or whatever you wanted to do to be able to stream that so that once a week it would give us an excuse to hop on every week and play squadrons. And since it cross platforms, if we can fill a five man team up with with the uh, the Discord, I think that's a great idea. So the short answer is I will be using a PS4 remote for 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 mine. And I can't wait because the controls are exactly the same as it was whenever X-Wing is a TIE fighter, which is you have to manage your shields to the front and shields to the back, and then you can forward throttle. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. So I have a whole test set up for a PC, but I have VR for a PlayStation. So if I, I think as long as I can do it without feeling ill, I'll play it without whole test on the PlayStation for VR. If I ever want to pretend that I'm good, which spoilers I won't be, 
um, I will uh, play it with Holochess on the PC. You can, because we're going to need some ace pilots in our squads, because we're going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the spoilers are that whatever the control system that gives you the most advantage is what people what the most people will play generally the um from talking to people the um space combat or flight games where where you can use mouse and keyboard depending on how much weapon gimbling you have to be able to like point the mouse at something and shoot gives you a competitive advantage because rather than having to line your ship up you can kind of nudge the mouse in a direction to get your shots away but I've also heard that there's hardly any weapon gimbling, so I haven't played it myself, so I can't comment. From so the I gameplay don't... that I've seen, though, like, it's not... If you're expecting the combat that you saw in Battlefront 2 and Battlefront 1 with the space combat, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Um, it, it Fundamentally, you still have the ability to increase speed, decrease speed, but there's so much more going on as far as... Um, Moment, uh, speed management, uh, shield placement management, that's all of the things that I used to love about the X-Wing and TIE Fighter series back on the old MS-DOS days. Um, I don't think there is anything from the weapon game either. Like, I, I find a hard time even finding gameplay footage with a reticule on it. So that's one of the other things that I'm going to be really kind of like, how in the hell are they even hitting their targets? It's going to be like some of the gameplay footage I saw were people that were basically doing uh, K-turns, doing choreograms, where they're dropping speed, spinning around, letting their opponent fly by, and then catching them in the end. Like, that's the stuff I'm looking forward to that you oh, never you really could break, do. So fly right by. Right, exactly. The stuff that you never really could do in the Battlefront version. You could slow down, but not pull, like, the choreographs like they were. Oh, do you use Star Wars physics breaks? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> from what I saw from the gameplay footage, yes, they are. So It's okay. So I was going this way, and he was going that way. And then Hollywood said, like, where'd he go? And I was like, where'd he go? <laughs> oh, that was the other thing, the COVID kill. We never got to see the Top Gun sequel. Oh, I forgot that was supposed to be a thing. Maverick I, was I will, sh- I will shed a tear. And, the, and, and the Ghostbuster sequel, too, got moved. All of that got pushed back. Yeah, I was really looking forward to... What a, all right, so way out of focus, lack of focus. One of my Zoom backgrounds for whenever I do my work meetings is a um, a Maverick one that we got. I got right when the whole thing started. So it looks like I'm sitting in the jet. You've got two jets on your on your wings as your as your wingman. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Because I was looking forward to Maverick. And damn it, it I, I've not still not seen that movie uh, yet. I, I suppose we could close out on I, uh, just because I always like a tangent at the end to keep that up a little bit later. Of um, course. I binge. I binge watched uh, series one, uh, season one of The Boys on Amazon Prime. Oh, that looks so good! I've uh, it's it, one of those. It looks really good. Like, there were some bits where I'm like, "Oh, holy shit!" Uh, like it's pretty graphic, and like, definitely not one to watch. Oh yeah, but it's so good! Like really, really good. I was very impressed. Well, they've just announced season three. I, I can say I've watched the Umbrella Academy both seasons twice. Both really good. Second season was better than the first. I think that they're equal, in my opinion, just because the content was just different, so much different. But better character usage in season better two. Better character development in, in season two. But I yeah, remember, season one is introduction, season two is development. 
you know. Right. Agreed. Yeah. But I feel like season two was was really good. I yeah. I like season two better than I like season one, and I like both. And I like uh, all the characters in season two. Where I had some issues with Luther and a couple of the other ones at times in season one. So yes, I, exactly. I did I season two's the, better. <laughs> I did the boys in two days. Season one. It's only eight episodes, so get it watched. Yeah. There'll be a test. There'll be a test next show. There'll be a test next show. All right, I'll see if I can yeah. jam it up. This uh, if, you, if you've got Amazon Prime, really good. Would recommend. That that and the old guard. That was the other thing I saw too. Oh yeah, guard was good. Oh, I, I, I got it's what Highlander two and three and four should have been. You know, oh, you, you, well, you mean so Ramirez is in it? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Sean Connery would have broke his ass out of retirement for that role. Um, yeah. I, you know, I got halfway through that movie before I realized it was Sharice Theron in the the lead role. I got halfway through that movie. I did not realize that that was yeah. her. I, I've not seen it, and I already know that she was in the lead role because it, it, all it, of the articles I read on her not being Furiosa in the new Furiosa movie said that she's currently appearing in. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. It came up on Netflix. I'm like, ooh, this looks good, and we tossed it on. When I had no clue what it was going into it and then saw it, got halfway through, and I'm like, oh, that's like something she said through the movie, and I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. She's, she's Hello, cool. my name is Charlie Theron. You <laughs> killed my father, prepared to die. She was more like, she Spoilers, was, more like she was an Aeon Flux. Yeah. yeah. That, more of what that reminded me of was when she was an Aeon Flux. Yes, I agree. But, but much better. like Much better. Much better. And the funny thing is, is that movie, that show was made, or that movie was made on a very small budget. Like a tiny ass budget for Netflix. All right, we want to go down movie making tangents. You heard what Disney's doing with like Mandalorian season two and three, right? No. So, and it it makes me wonder if this is how movies and TV shows are going to start getting made now post COVID nineteen. So they, Disney decided that they were not going to stop production of the Mandalorian seasons two and seasons three. So what they did is they bought a hangar and they moved the entire staff and production staff put them into quarantine on site for 14 days before filming. They're not leaving anybody leave. They are catering food in, they're bringing everything in, they have entertainment there, and they are filming seasons two and three back to back to ensure that those get released on time. Ironically, though, it's probably not a good risk. It's easier for them because of the way that they film that show, though. Yeah, the only Unreal Engine um, generated background. Whatever they call the the, it has a name, but where they yeah. have ceiling, wall ceilings, and the only thing they really have to change is the ground. Correct. And, and yeah. they can, they can pump out episodes pretty quick. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing, but like I think it was, I thought it was a brilliant move. Like they moved everything out of Hollywood and they put it in a secure location, completely sanitized, uh, COVID 19 free. Because we're like, we're, we're experiencing it now as I made my lament, lamentations that, of course, that Maverick didn't come out and the Ghostbusters uh, 3 movie didn't come out. Um, due to COVID-19 and a whole series of other movies that didn't come out, but they're also not filming anything new. So we're going to hit a dead space in entertainment in January of 2021, where shit that was would have been filmed during this time frame wasn't. And we're going to get a lot of that low-budget stuff, like The Old Guard, that are going to be really, really popular because they were done on a shoestring, shoestring budget and didn't need to be... Like, they can't even film outside the country. Like, most countries are not taking U.S. citizens in. 
at this juncture. So they're kind of <laughs> building walls, building walls to keep us in at this juncture. Can you stay over there? Yeah. Mexico is like, no, 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 we'll help you pay. We'll pay for that wall. Go ahead. Stay the hell over there. <laughs> That's how Trump was going to do it. I get it now. For d chess, I'm going to kill millions of my own people so that Mexico will pay for the wall. <laughs> Canada will pay for their own. Yep. Yeah, Canada closed the border too. We're done. We're <laughs> all right. That's enough politics. Let's start getting into that. <laughs> all right. So I I think that's going to do it. Do you have any more questions, Chris? Are we good? No. Uh, someone was asking how they can watch a podcast. Um, I I put a comment on the Discord, but yeah. Um, we've chatted about it a couple of times about going back to doing videos for these, and um, unfortunately at the moment, like life's getting in the way, so I. Generally, when we get together to do this, I, I know myself and Sean are pretty burnt out. I, Ed is his usual chipper, eternally young self, <laughs> and uh, always looks good. I mean, today I managed to shave and stuff, so it wouldn't have been too bad. Yeah, but I yeah, went to the um, too. Like, to do the video side of it adds a well, maybe a, a little bit of extra on the, the recording side, but. It more than doubles the workload on the uh, post-production side. So um, selfishly, I haven't been doing the videos just to try and give myself some breathing room and getting the stuff out on time. So, um, yeah, I do want to go back to putting them out on the YouTube channel, but um, not for the next couple of episodes at least. We did. Oh. We did take one shot at doing it live. I don't know if you remember doing that. Like we tried doing it on like Facebook. Yeah. Like that would just don't do post-production. Just like you're going to get all of the. <laughs> so but one thing I did think about was um, we could theoretically, we could do the show live in Discord and not give anyone who's watching it audio privileges. So you'd have people in the channel watching live. Not be able to talk. But not be able to talk. And then you you could have like a chat thing on it, but that's a whole level of yeah, that's that's um, self indulgent. Uh, you know, uh, I can't uh, even think of a word now. I must be getting tired. I'll have drank too much. Um, yeah, that's that's not for me. That that kind of takes away the enjoyment for me. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Like the what was it? The like, yeah, it feels very self indulgent. Yeah, um, like just come. I mean. All of this is to come and listen to us chat, but I like to think of it as more of a, a laid back, come and join us in your, in our conversation. Where once, when it goes back to doing video or, or having live, a live studio audience, as it were, it it definitely doesn't have that same feel. I, obviously, other than mocking uh, Ed for liking Superman, there's very little like facade you get us relatively raw when we do this, so I think something like that would definitely change the tone of the show. Maybe not for the better. Maybe not for the better. On a side note, Snyder Cut. Fans True. are right. Just, just throwing that out there. Four we'll see. We'll episodes. see. Yeah. I don't know. So this is I'm going to have to resubscribe to HBO, aren't I? I think, I'm pretty sure I cancelled it. So my problem is I'm going to go in with my prejudices of not liking Justice League the first time. So I don't, I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to lie. I, I am can't really remember Justice League. Anyway. I've got it on Blu-ray. I can't it remember it. Because it was an unforgettable movie. Because it was chopped to hell and back. I want to see. All right. Ugh. 
so this gets into that fandom thing, like the running joke with the 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 mainstream media was like, you know, everyone made jokes of the fans that were like, well, we want to see the Snyder Cut because we know that that movie was so much was cut out of that movie. And the product that we got on the table that was delivered in theaters was a hacked up piece of garbage that was just kind of thrown together and tossed out there, a.k.a. a certain movie that may have come out claiming to be an episode nine of the Star Wars trilogy that had very similar production issues. So there were two things that are always like, is that the sequel uh, sequel trilogies are not canon and they will see the Snyder Cut. Well, one of those things has come true. We are going to see the Snyder Cut. And then if Favreau has anything to say about it, the sequel trilogies are not going to be canon anymore either. And then all of us fans will be happy. No, I I think you have to just let go of that and enjoy Star Wars for a bit to enjoy and ignore, like, I think we we must. This is definitely going to be the closing of the show because I don't want to get into this too much. So I get to. I'm going to drop this mic after saying it. But like, no one talks about how Splinter of a Mind's Eye uh, was uncanonized or wasn't canon or was never canon or was canon for a little bit. Like, people just don't care or like, think it was a passable story or don't care. Like, it doesn't affect your enjoyment of Return of the Jedi and Empire. Knowing that like Luke and Leia were an item in in Splinter of Mind's Eye, it doesn't matter. Just take the bits you enjoy and enjoy them, and dump the bits you don't for whatever reason. And like that, maybe you prefer the new trilogy because that's what you grew up with now, and don't really enjoy the original. That's fine. Enjoy Star Wars how you want to enjoy it, but like trying to shape it into some all-encompassing thing, I think, is a mistake. So the only pushback that I would give to that is that if they want to continue to sell product in the Star Wars universe to their base, their base is unhappy. I get the new. Are, are, you, are you talking about the actual base? Are you talking about all those people who said that if they didn't give them conversion kits, they were going to not play X-Wing anymore? No, uh, no, 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 no. Should they I'm listen to the base in the same way that FFG did? No, I'm talking, give, about them conversion kits. I'm talking about us old codgers who buy Star Wars merchandise and have dedicated... Oh, I, I agree. So what, to... what happens when Disney caves to you and uh, they, they literally come around to your house and say, well, sorry, we would like to make... The, we're going to make the statement officially from your lawn, if you will have us, that we are uncanonizing the sequel trilogy. And we're going to redo it, and we're going to like we're going to scrub aftermath, and we're going to redo the from Return of Jedi. We're going to set it five years after fighting some Imperial remnant, and but that's where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to see the growth of Luke Skywalker and training some Jedi's, and then what happens is you you're like fuck, I am in. You can say this on my front lawn with the kids in the background. We are all on board. And then it turns out you just don't really like it. Do you get them to decanonize the next one? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, oh, man. Uh, the, the way you pronounce that word, I mean, it's Kashyyyk, not Kashyyyk. So um, unfortunately, Disney, you're going to have to redo that. Sorry, puckers. Should have tried harder. Well, they just need me in the writing room. That's all. I'll fix that. Bro. I think... <laughs> yeah, well, where do you draw the line? So We don't negotiate with terrorists, said. Yeah, I get that. But when terrorists actually have the money... Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm pretty sure that they're still doing okay. I, I mean, was it empty when you went to Disneyland? It wasn't COVID-19 when I went to Disneyland either. Yeah. Keep it, uh, so, I mean, like... Ugh. Are you, you going to pay 30 bucks to watch Mulan on Disney Plus? No. 
I didn't. I, oh. It has nothing to do. Has nothing. To, I just no interest whatsoever in seeing the movie. And it's nothing. No, to but do that's why. If it if it was a movie you wanted to watch, you'd give them thirty bucks to watch on Disney Plus. Probably, yeah. I mean, like, so yeah. If they did, so if God forbid, COVID nineteen continues to roll on like it's relatively expected to, realistically speaking, for the next couple of years before it's genuinely a non-issue, we get to like two years down the line and they release a Knights of the Old Republic movie and it's thirty dollars on Disney Plus. You're damn tootin' that I am going to pay that money and I am going to watch that when. Mandalorian season two comes in every Friday night. I will be glued to my couch at right after dinner. It's Mandalorian night. It's Mandalorian night. I'm mean, absolutely. Do I still pay for Disney Plus even after the Mandalorian's done because there's still other programmings? Absolutely. So the funny part is like there's always this part of me is every time I bring up a Star Wars movie, I always bring it up on Disney Plus and I always play the original trilogy because that's what we we're going through the last couple of weeks. And I want to make sure that Disney Plus sees those metrics and goes, huh, interesting. No one's watching the new shit. I just want to add my little vote into that. Oh, I'm not saying you have to enjoy it or like it. I just think the not being willing to enjoy Star Wars because they exist is childish and probably not conductive to... Uh, You're probably right. New stuff being good. Give me Obi-Wan Kenobi on a toilet for two hours, reading the Tattoo of the Times. I'm good. Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Just do it. Just cop in that squad for two hours. Yep. Good. I'm on board. I I don't even mind. There's so much stuff they can do. I I had an interesting moment this, uh, this afternoon, actually. So I was looking at my bookshelf upstairs, and I was looking at my Star Wars books, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting one. So um, I've got like the the new stuff, and I think forward. Uh, well, yeah, and I was going through. It's like, oh, all right, this one is led by a right, aftermath's got a female lead for the mm-hmm. entire trilogy. Ahsoka is a female lead um, mm-hmm. who's probably uh, homosexual. Then we had um, We're looking forward to the, seeing her. Yeah, by the way, Phasma and Black Spire have got female lead. Totally wasted um, that character. Twice. Yeah. And Not then, once, but twice. What was the other stuff? Um, oh, the Alphabet Squadron stuff has got a homosexual female lead. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Like, they're doing a really good job of like making interesting stories and keeping yeah. them down. I mean, the only ones I don't think I enjoyed yeah. was the Aftermath stuff. But, uh, one I, story, I, I'll be honest with you, one story I wouldn't mind seeing, and even though they touched in it in the prequel book, to Rogue One, I actually would love to see a Galen Erso story. Yeah. Like, 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 I'd love to see more. Like, I can't wait for that. There's a little bit of Galen in Catalyst. Yeah. There's a bit more export in there. Yeah. My my point is, though, is that I would love to see that side of the Empire, you know, the the side you never see of the Empire, where you see the inner working, the, the backside politics, not all the front side in your face politics. But how the empire worked, you know, Tarkin. You could throw Tarkin in there and, and yeah. give, him, give him his piece, you know. Raise, raise Peter Cushing from the dead one more time. The Thrawn, you know, the, probably, the, second, the second Thrawn novel is probably what you're looking for then of the new Zan Thrawn stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff. That, yeah, the, the Thrawn stuff, Sean. That's what you want to look to. Yeah, I, but I'm saying just 
as a one-off, I would love to see the Galen Ursa story, you know, yeah. in depth, just because it could be a pretty cool story. And it's not going to be the action-packed story. You know, it's going to be kind of... You, you know, so what you're saying is you want a uh, an Empire version of Phantom Menace. Kind of, yeah. Kids, yeah. kids love I themselves and, uh, trade disputes. Yeah, right. <laughs> the Empire version of of uh, Game of Thrones, like all the backstabbing and the politics behind it, let's, you can leave the incest that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Read the Throne stuff, sir, man, I'm telling you. See, you haven't read the Throne series. Yeah, I haven't read that. I've read, I read Zahn's, you know, Heir of the Empire side of it. Yeah, uh, the new Throne stuff is good. Yeah. I have all I have all of them in hardback first edition. So, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, and I even have a special edition of the last 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 command. Um, but I would love to see uh, that. If you're going to redo the whole, if you're going to redo the final trilogy, Hertha Empire, that. Dark Fa- Dark Force Rising, and His Last Command. Yep. Yep. Good. Yep. You know, yep. and it gives you everything you would want because right. it gives you it gives you the Luke Mara Jade story. You know, it gives you the Thrawn piece to it that everybody loved Thrawn because of those those books. Not because he was like force fed into Rebels. Yeah, I mean, I I think they wanted to make him canon very badly, and I think it's because somewhere down the line we're going to see movies about Thrawn. But I would rather see the Heir to the Empire series as they recast everybody. You know, bringing Aiden Alden right back as Han. Uh, you know, you you can recast these characters. Bring uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter as Princess Leia. Yeah, you, know, they, you can they, you can really do it and do it well. And I think, especially considering where we are now, of course, with you know the passing of Carrie Fisher, and the Star Wars fans would understand. Like we would understand if in this fantasy world that I have that the they decanonize seven eight nine and then they move forward if they were to recast those actors um but continue with the character roles like first of all it's gonna be really strange for me to see someone other than mark hamill play luke skywalker for for about 20 minutes for about 20 minutes it was the same thing that i had whenever i saw solo i still stand by my stance that solo was a good movie i liked solo i really did it it had a weird story ending like i didn't like totally the story end portion of it but i liked the solo part you know, when it was about Han Solo. I think the problem with the end was that it was quite blatantly setting you up to not be the end. Right. It was supposed to be going into the next two movies that they're not going to make now for what, but like, you're right. Like the first 20 minutes. Okay. It's kind of weird that somebody else is playing Han Solo. However, when I saw Donald Glover playing my, one of my all time. Uh, I mean, I have to say that the thing that really made me not enjoy watching the sum of all fears was that it was a different person playing uh, Jack Ryan. Well, Not that it was all, a shit film. The sum of all fears, all of them, Clear and Present Danger, all of those were shit to me because it wasn't Alec Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> the character. Yeah. Even though it was Harrison no, I don't Ford. know. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Jim Ryan. He's my favorite. Again, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Jim Ryan. <laughs> I do like the new Jack Ryan. Because number one, it jumped the shark from the moment it started. And <laughs> Jim Ryan is our favorite. Me and Joe love him. <laughs> yeah. I, All I, right. That's a great place to end this one on a complete lack of focus. <laughs> you've got some closing material. Yeah. So um, 
I've been uh, in discussion with people on Discord as we've been recording. So make sure if you want to be involved in that kind of stuff, head over to the Dice Hate Productions Discord channel. Uh, I am a moron and I've not turned off notifications. So I respond to, I want to say 99% of the messages. I try and get all of them and I always read everything that's on there every time it comes up. Uh, I like you can pictures. You did, and I like them and commented because I'm a moron. <laughs> um, uh, you can email us at lackoffocuspodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us through Facebook, at either the Dice Hate Productions Facebook page or the Lack of Focus Podcast Facebook page. Um, we are available on multiple audio formats. And uh, yeah, you can also give me money. It's good. I enjoy it. It keeps me uh, sane. It helps me pay for all the editing software and the hosting and all of that kind of stuff. So you can head over to Patreon. There will be links in the show notes. And you can throw me a dollar and we'll give you free stuff and a chance to win things and early access to this glorious content. Woo! All right. So that's going to do it. Sean, always good to talk to you, my friend. Yep, good to be here. I'm about dead all of a sudden, but good to be here. Yeah, I'm about there myself. Chris, I know we said we're going to make this short, but it's us. Sorry. Yeah, it's only been three and a half hours. It's fine. <laughs> all right, so I do appreciate everyone tuning in, and of course, we will always catch you on the next one. So until then, guys, fly casual. Thank you once again for joining the Lack of Focus X-Wing podcast. Check out Dice Hate Productions for all the latest episodes, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you again next episode.